This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Alright, welcome back everyone to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And we're going to be doing an episode that we've been hyping up for literally months at this point. I'm really excited. I told Alex this is the first time I've been anxious to do an episode in a minute. Like, I'm very excited. I know I added to these notes probably 30 minutes before I came over here. I know Alex was adding to them as well today. So, we will be covering Halo 2. Yeah, and and like Jesse said, it's... It's a lot. It's So it's the second game in the Halo series, and I know you, it's been a while since our basically first episode mm-hmm. uh, with Combat Evolved, and so it's given us time to go through this, pick out the details we can, give you guys like little tidbits that you may or may not know, mm-hmm. and just kind of bring really cool interesting episode for you guys yeah it was really cool because we've we've been doing this research we even had a game night we'll touch about Mm -hmm. just to help us get more familiar with with that classic halo 2 uh, multiplayer so halo 2 is a sci-fi military first person shooter developed by microsoft's bungie studios this game was a direct sequel to halo combat evolved surrounding the continued fight between the unsc the covenant and the flood it was released november 9th 2004. So let's talk about first this, you know, kind of what happened with Bungie after Halo Combat Evolved. Yeah, some post CE. Yeah, because initially what happened is they thought, okay, we did this one game. We're going to go back to Chicago just to kind of refresh you guys. Bungie was originally from Chicago. They moved out to uh, Belleville, Washington in order to develop Combat Evolved. But that wasn't entirely the case. They weren't just going to move back to Chicago. They were actually told by uh, Pete Parsons, who is a manager to Bungie as an internal Microsoft executive, that they needed Halo 2 the next year because that's when Xbox Live was launching. He actually told this to Martin O'Donnell because they told him, like, we have the fiscal year planned out. And Martin O'Donnell basically responded with, quote, fuck the fiscal year he told him that like because again relationships with uh microsoft and bungie still weren't like awesome they never really were the entire time that bungie was owned by microsoft well yeah because like we talked about in our previous episode they tried to corral them into this kind of corporate world Mm -hmm. when that's just not how they functioned and operated yeah and you definitely see especially in Halo 2, what those time constraints did to the game. Yeah, and basically what he had said was like, listen, you can't tell Bungie that they need this by the fi- for the fiscal year. Tell them that they need something done by E3 or Christmas. Like something like E3 will get them motivated. If you tell them that, hey, we need we need this done because that's just what the numbers call for, then it's just like, no, they're not going to do it because they're just stubborn. And I and I, I can see the frustration on both sides. I do kind of respect it. And then at the same time, it's like you guys did seek to get bought out by a corporation. So you have to comply by the corporation's rules. Sure. But it's still with what's going on here. It's still something that plagues gaming mm-hmm. production in and of itself is time crunching. Yeah, this and, this was a little too extreme, but I get what you were saying. Like, well, I mean, you're still getting this with like Assassin's Creed and mm-hmm. Call of Duty, which is yearly games. Yeah, and you're trying to crush it all down. So 
and like you said, like if you throw in corporate jargon, mm-hmm. you're gonna rebel. When you're yeah. like, hey guys, we need this E3 launch or like we need this Christmas title, then it's more of like, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. So it was kind of decided at that point that Halo 2 needed to get done. And one reason that Halo 2 started happening is because Jason Jones, one of the founders of Bungie, like felt like he oddly owed a sequel to the team. And mm-hmm. everyone was kind of confused about that. They're like, you don't really owe us anything. But they just, you know, they said, okay, like, let's do it. And something I do want to point out before we go any further as i forgot to mention is that the bungee office was like empty for a month after combat evolved because you know we talked about how many times it got changed and the time crunches it was just like everyone became a ghost for about a month mm-hmm. i remember uh reading that marty said he would just like walk through the office of course like M- martin o'donnell's gonna show up and no one else but he would just walk through and just it was empty like isn't that crazy to think that like a game drove you to that? I mean, it's it's not like bringing up the tech crunch and time crunch things again. I mean, when you're working 18 hours a day on this, mm-hmm. and then you finally release the product, and one, it had great recognition and people really bought into it and liked it, then mm-hmm. it's kind of like, did my job. I'll see you in a month. Yeah. I'm just going <laughs> like, to go sleep for a bit. Which, in Combat Evolved was a cakewalk compared mm-hmm. to what we are going to go through. Yeah. But, you know, with that, with Jason Jones pushing for it and Microsoft wanting it, they looked to Halo 2. And one thing they wanted to figure out is, what, what were we trying to tell in Halo Combat Evolved that we couldn't? Like, what new things, what stories can we implement? And so one of the first things that happened was Jason Jones just locked himself in a room. And just wrote down all his ideas, kind of like this mad scientist thing, which I kind of like. But uh, some of his initial ideas were um, silly, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Like, one of his first ones was Chief would be on, like, Cairo Station, and he would, like, look down and put his hands on the glass and see uh, the Covenant attacking Earth. And he would say, quote, only blood will pay for this, which I think is definitely not a Master Chief-esque quote. And then another thing he wanted is he wanted uh, Miranda Keys to be evil. Hmm. He, he wanted he wanted uh, her to strap a bomb to Chief's back at one point and push him in a hole as like as an act of revenge for uh, letting her father die. So basically, he locked himself in a room and watched Rambo and Terminator <laughs> and just like every other '80s dude film. Apparently, it was definitely, uh, like, as I said, those ideas didn't really happen. I know uh, Joe Staten really fought against having stuff like that happen. Clearly, we saw uh, the Covenant attacking Earth. We we still saw Miranda Keys, but we didn't see it. We even had some bomb play in there, Mm -hmm. but we didn't see. Not altogether. Yeah, we we took little ideas and went off of that. And uh, uh, from the beginning the production for Halo 2 was kind of a mess. You know, there was there was a lot of small groups of Bungie employees that were uh, meeting up to kind of plan out this this game, but none of them really were communicating together well. Like, Jason was kind of like the leader of this, but yet he was kind of being wishy-washy about this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So there, there wasn't a lot of leadership to be had. No, and and some of the interesting stuff was like during the conceptual stage. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where you got the idea of playing as a covenant because they wanted to do something a little different than CE. They wanted to have like the unexpected. Uh-huh. Uh, and they wanted to push so that you could see the other side of the story. Yeah, not a lot of not a lot of games were doing it at the time. Yeah. And so like cuz especially jo- that was Joe Staten was really pushing for that mm-hmm. as well, which 
you got to give this game to Joe Staten. He saw a lot of this game through. He came up with a lot of the ideas, like everything. Like he is, granted, he is a very recognized person within the Bungie and Halo franchise. I still think he's an unsung hero, him and Marty, because. Mm-hmm. What what we'll learn is like Marty was also kind of like ahead at Bungie, but not really. He was like he was really just a composer, but he helped with a lot of the decision making and whatnot, which I think is really really cool. So like especially like someone who doesn't have experience like that is stepping into those those shoes essentially. Mm-hmm. So something really cool that I actually found uh, while doing this research is that and and this I don't know when exactly in the timeline this was. I know this was late. Later on, but I just put it earlier on in the notes because I thought it was really cool. Is the arbiter was actually going to be called the Dervish, which I'm kind of glad he was not called the Dervish because it doesn't have the same ring. But essentially, a Dervish is like an Islamic term for a special warrior. But this was post 9 11, you know, only a year or so past it. And Mm You know, this was around the end of development, so they had all of the lines that any time the Arbiter was addressed, it was the Dervish. They had printed material with the Dervish on it. So, you know, it was so much, so much re-recording and reprinting of material. And if you listen closely, I tried to find some videos I couldn't, but you can hear the occasional character refer to the Arbiter as Dervish, which I think is very, very interesting and just a small glimpse into everything that's starting to happen throughout the production. Even later on, we're starting to see some stuff like I already not go according to plan but then even just beyond like smaller issues like that the first year was an absolute mess because they were tearing apart the engine and trying to improve it and the first year of the game it was not playable like whatsoever like and they just had to keep going back and forth and back and forth and finally they released in 2002 a, a CG uh, teaser trailer that would play in like movie theaters and on TV. Mm-hmm. And it was showing Chief like getting ready to jump off Cairo Station. It was like, you know, you could hear a radio chatter in the background of like, oh, uh, the, the Covenant is attacking Earth. And finally we see Chief jump out. He doesn't have the bomb or anything, but we see him jump out. And so that was the level that they saw. You saw like these reflections in his visor and everything, these updated, amazing. Granted, it was CG. It wasn't like actual engine. It was, or anything. Yeah, it wasn't in game play or anything. But they, they, they saw that as like the standard. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the beginning of where they really kind of let their ambition get way ahead of them because now they're like, that's the standard. We need to live up to that. And they learned very early on. Like they absolutely could not. Well, and that goes back to even talking about. Bungie being a studio that's, they want to do their project and they want to have all this passion into it. Mm-hmm. But when Microsoft's like, you got a year. Yeah. And then you start to see like them go to and start, all right, here's the ideas we're going to have. This is what we're going to do. When in reality, Microsoft basically just wanted, can you just reskin that? Yeah, because like, that's that's all CE would have been. Yeah. Like the gameplay would have been the same. The graphics would have been a little better. But no, they they wanted to they wanted to bring the best package possible because you got to remember as well, they were going to end with this. Halo Two was going to be the ending of Halo, mm-hmm. regardless. Period. We got a few books and two games, you know. So they were they were like, okay, let's make the best game ever and then just call it quits. Yeah. But it it, it didn't turn out that way. And well, even in our Halo Three episode, we'll kind of dive into why. But uh, at one point during development, uh, there was actually other games being developed in Bungie Mm -hmm. uh, along with Halo 2. And so there was a team developing a game called Phoenix. And they were kind of getting demoralized and kind of like work was staggering. So 
Jason Jones, the guy who said, hey, let's do a second one. I'll stick this out. I don't like doing sequels, but I'm going to stick it out. Was like, hey, I'm going to go. I'm ditching this project. I'm going to go with them. And Joe and Marty even took him out to lunch and said, you you can't do this, dude. Like, this was your idea. You're kind of the leader at this point. And he just dips it. So you got to think, like, already the guy who came up with this and pushed for this just dips it. That's like, that's literally like if I quit this podcast right now after I was like, hey, Alex, let's start a podcast. And then I just quit. Like, that's basically what happened. It just like, because a lot of members of Bungie left with them. Yeah. And even then, like, they had to bring in, like, quote, new blood. So, like, a lot of Halo 2's development was created by junior developers who were learning on the spot. You got to think this is pretty early on in development. Like, this isn't like last minute touches. So, like, automatically they were kind of being set up for failure. And even at this point, uh, Alex Seropian, he, I, and I can't remember why off the top of my head, but he also wasn't part of this either. So, both Bungie founders had nothing to do with Halo 2 at mm-hmm. this point. And so now they're left with, again, junior developers learning on the spot, probably fresh out of college or getting ready to graduate, like being set up for failure instantly. But, you know, pushing through. They did the next year. They had that playable demo yeah. at, uh, at E3, the 2003 E3. Yeah, and so that demo took a total of seven months to develop, and Bungie kept almost any news of Halo under wraps until E3. So fans didn't have any idea what to expect, which for them was great in mind because, mm-hmm. like, we got to put this out, so let's keep everything under wraps, don't get hopes up, and we'll put this out so they can see it. It's kind of like what we're living with with infinite right now mm-hmm. minus like an actual like playable demo it's still this idea that we know you know we know next to nothing about it but so this trailer was basically a culmination of everything they wanted to put in uh joe joe staten really just wanted he's like at the last minute he's like let's add this let's add this let's add this and so this what this trailer or this this uh this e3 playthrough i've watched it a few times it's it's pretty crazy but so the demo was a live playthrough which was different you know it wasn't any like cgi or anything like that it was joe standing in front of a small like a small screen and then it was projected behind him of him actually playing the game but I, I and again they they did some different things with this because Joe starts talking about okay the fire exits in the back and then you see Johnson pop up on the screen behind him and start like yelling at him for like trying to do that and then Johnson says you know this is a re-, you know he explains this is a real gameplay demo and like everything you're gonna see is is in game so that again really cool elements that they 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 put through I know it's essentially. Um, the second or third mission of Halo, uh, it's definitely, it's, I think it's outskirts. We have, a mm-hmm, like the, mm-hmm. the covenant invading. I know that the brutes are there, but I think it, it is really, really cool to see like what they had come up with and the, the crowd themselves. Like if you watch a video of the crowd's reaction, it's like they, it's like they saw God. Like, all of them had their jaws dropped, and they were all just, like, losing their mind. Like, even uh, Orlando Jones was there, because he was a huge Halo fan, which he actually ends up voicing Sergeant Marcus Banks in the game. But there were people at that demo who were going back two or three times to watch it to make sure that, like, it wasn't just uh, someone playing. Already already self-recorded or playing it back. Yeah, no, they were, like, making sure that things were different. And then... Yeah, which which makes sense, because... You have to figure at that time when you didn't have YouTube, you didn't have any time you could replay clips. I mean, mm-hmm. there was plenty of times when people, you'd have some developer come up in his sweet sports coat with some 
classic t-shirt under it. And, <laughs> Joe uh, was just t-shirt. I will just, say this. Just a tea guy. Joe's a and, tea guy. Uh, and they would have a controller and they would be like, you know, like doing the moves and shifting into it. Mm-hmm. And when in reality, it's either someone backstage playing it yeah. or it's already a pre-recorded demo. Yeah. But it was crazy. People were just watching it again and again. And, you know, this this demo was amazing looking. It uh, had featured uh, this lighting called uh, stencil lighting model. Uh, only thing like with everything that the feature or that this uh, this demo had is that it would slow the frame rate mm-hmm. down to like three was it like three per second, which so uh, a slideshow. Yeah, essentially. And so after all that, it was it was a great reception and they got back to the office and they realized they could not use any of that. Because it like they got lucky there because the the Xbox couldn't render that no. environment. Oh, no. So like you got to realize now it's 2003. We now have to essentially start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And that's where I want to move on to the later stages of development because it's now to the point, okay, we've had two years and now we have literally nothing to show for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joe Staten had uh, this to say about development later on. Quote, we ordered ourselves a giant sandwich. Took a bite, but didn't realize exactly how big it was before we started in. And we did that across the board, technically, artistically, and story-wise. But, of course, we didn't figure that out until way too late. Yeah. And so, at this point, two years of development was thrown out. So, they Mm -hmm. pretty much threw it all the wayside. And Bungie was almost starting from scratch. So, all those teams are brought in on Halo 2. Phoenix, Bungie West, the Monster Hunter group. Everyone that had a project basically Mm -hmm. was like, put that on hold. Come in and let's do this now. Yeah, which means that um, Jason Jones would be returning. Kind of that awkward thing like, <laughs> it's like, hey. Oh, hey, yeah, we dated the same person a while back. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, that's literally <laughs> what had to happen was is that like everyone came in like, all right, let's go. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter about your game, your game, or your game. Not important right now. Halo, this is like one of the most hyped games right now. So it's crazy to think that there were like three or four other projects that got scrapped just for Halo. Well, and I think... As you see, like the writing on the wall with the reception of that E3 demo mm-hmm. and just people gawking at it, be like, yes, it's like we have to live up to those expectations. Yeah. And if we do, I think we're going to do great. Like that has to be like what's going through your mind is like, we have to get this done. Like if that's what people were seeing, like with that, when we have a full thing out for them, like let's, we need to do something for them. Yeah. And so for another year, the campaign wasn't playable. Like they had to, starting from scratch, like all of a sudden we're just like, oh shit, we're. We're now in trouble. And so, you know, that year goes by. And during that year, uh, Ed Fries, uh, he, he had been working with Bungie. I believe we talked about him in the combat mm-hmm. of all the episode. He went in front of a board of officials for Microsoft. And he said, like, listen, this I think this is right before. I think this is around 2003. He said, listen, they need another year or they, they like they need another year. So please give them that. They said, so you have the option. Give them another year or have them ship it out as soon as possible. And initially they said... Have them ship it out. Mm-hmm. And Ed Fry says, I will quit on the spot if that happens. And so they said, okay, okay, they can have more times. But six months later, he ended up quitting because, and to side note, researching for this, finding those old 2003 web pages is a treat. You were sending me a few mm-hmm, of them mm-hmm. uh, earlier this week. But yeah, so I found a very old article and, and he had basically said that, you know, you don't really have a lot of freedom when it comes to these games time-wise artistically anything like that and that's what he was looking for so this game is already driving a few people to quit try to get away from the project but being pulled back so like this game is kind of like a black hole at this point development wise yeah and and it makes sense i mean 
look at present day games that take eight years, mm-hmm. nine years, and the quality that's put into them. Mm-hmm. When in reality, of the games that are driven by EA or whatever, that are like you know, like the factory games, best way to put it, they're like put onto assembly line yeah. and put together. I mean, going back with this, when they were developing the campaign levels. It was all based on whiteboard sketches. Like yeah. they didn't have time to make digital blueprints to kind of sketch it out. They were just like, yeah. uh, that's it. That's, that's it. it. So they had to like look at a whiteboard and then just like program <laughs> it. Like things yeah. like that that were absolutely crazy. But you know, they they also did do some really cool things and they really tried to implement new things. Like for instance, like uh they wanted to make the the guns act more like real guns and sound more like real guns mm-hmm. so they they went they re-recorded all like the guns that went out to a shooting range and then even with marines like we had talked about with nyland how his marines kind of didn't act like a marine should yeah that's the kind of uh feedback that halo combat evolved was getting is that these marines aren't really acting like a marine should a marine would fire more than twice and then just hide like stuff mm-hmm. like that so they went and they actually hung out with some marines one day and like watched how they would interact and all this stuff i remember watching this video and the developers kind of look like almost like granted they look scared it's like these guys are going against nothing but they're still just like oh these guys, like, it's like it's, little kids watching it, it was really cool to see though and i like the idea that they have people from the military who love this game and said you need to improve this though like it's 500 years in the future these guys should be acting even more buckled down than mm-hmm. we are now but it, along other things like they wanted to improve the sound quality and it was like cool that they had these multiple rooms like digital rooms built that would just have like sand or metal or wood or dirt or brick and they would just sit there and experiment with that which i will say i think some of my favorite parts about researching this is seeing how anything to do with sound is done i mean clearly like we have this podcast we're very interested in the idea of sounds like i used to play in bands years ago so it was always cool to see these these new and different things i know when infinite that trailer just Mm -hmm. dropped they released a uh, uh, or 343 released this video showing like some of the things they did with the sound and they would like put stuff against like old IMAX to make them like start like freaking out and buzzing like little things like that that they they really go the extra mile and we saw that in Halo 2 as well they they only not wanted to make this game look as beautiful as possible for 2004 but sound as beautiful as possible yeah cuz going back i mean think of like some of your favorite childhood games and like one of the things that get instantly bring it to mind is the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. If a game had a great soundtrack, like the nostalgia of it just brought it back. So now yeah. we're really seeing games involve the movie making process of sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're actually creating sounds for it. It's not just digital tones, it's real life stuff created to make it just as you would do in a movie. Yeah, exactly. So moving on in development. This game was originally supposed to have nine missions, starting at Earth, bringing you to Delta Halo, and then taking you back to Earth for the grand conclusion. Though reality had set in, and developers realized they didn't have the time to implement everything they wanted to do in Halo 2, Mm -hmm. which we've basically been saying, and we'll keep saying, like, all these cool things that got cut. And when we get to the cut section of this, it's a laundry list of shit that they had to cut. So during the last five months of development, uh, Joe Staten had said that the team probably wasn't going to be seeing the sun at all doing the workload because they were literally coming in at four or five in the morning and leaving at 10 at night. That's just the reality of like this game. Mm-hmm. 
And so, like, throughout the developing process, there were still some issues. Like, Marty never liked the idea that there was no, quote-unquote, twist in Halo 2. He said that in in, uh, Halo Combat Evolved, the twist was the Flood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, Jason Jones was like, oh, no, playing as the Arbiter is the twist, which I think that was cool, but that was by no means ever a a twist for me which i will say i think the twist for me was the uh the portrayal of the brutes and the elites yeah i would i would say that i mean i thought it was neat that you played like when, when you first get in there and you're the arbiter like that's mm-hmm. cool and you have grunts yeah. and elites with you that was neat but you're right i think the betrayal you know seeing the flood again i guess was kind of that but it's at that point like oh, it okay. wasn't it wasn't you know because yeah. it's like we know who this is it's mm-hmm. not as scary or a- ambiguous to us yeah but you know bungie was still adamant about like putting out a game that they didn't feel is like the best thing on earth they didn't want a good enough game and that's what kind of put them in this this hole that they they've been digging and they were kind of like trying to climb out of a hole and still digging all up until you know they had to stop working on this game but but developers were legitimately scared about the workload that they saw every day you know i mean i know you for sure have long days my girlfriend has long days but there are reports of of developers there working 20 hour days like i think it's just absolutely crazy to think of like some of them described it as quote jumping out of a plane with silkworms and needles and having to make your parachute as you're falling and i think that's very close to like how they probably felt at that point yeah i mean i know with any of this whenever you're working in creative development and you have crunch time and things change and Mm -hmm. it's like we need that project done by tomorrow it's like all right cool working throughout the night we're working you know yeah well as i said like my girlfriend's by the way she is the reason that alex and i know each other but she there's nights she works till midnight like I and that's so crazy to me. And then she goes into the next day and works an eight hour day. So like this was that on steroids on inside the Batmobile, essentially, mm-hmm. like it, it was that to the next level. Um, uh, Paul Bertone had this to say about the final month or two working for Halo. And I quote, I slept at the office some obscene amount of days in a row, like almost an entire month at the end. I kenneled my dog for almost two months. There would be mornings I'd wake up at home and not remember how I got there and many others where I'd wake up at my desk or somebody else's. It was that way for a lot of people. A lot of relationships got fractured and that felt irreparable at the time. Have you ever done that, though? Have you ever gotten home and then like or you woke up the next morning and you're not drinking or anything? You're so tired and you're like, how did I get here? Yeah, I mean, there's there's been times here where, like, I'll just crash overnight when I'm working on a project. Dude, it's terrifying. I used to work thirds. That was my first job. And some mornings I'd wake up and I was like, how did I get home? Yeah. I Because I would fall asleep in my car and, and my driveway and be like, holy shit. Like, so that's terrifying to think. But, you know. I mean, worst of all, he had to kennel his dog for two months. Yeah, that sucks, man. That you got to think it's like that's how dedicated people were to this. They were like kenneling their dog. We're going to learn about even more that kind of happens and like things that happen to people like it's just crazy to think. But, you know, at this point, Halo 2's third act was cut completely from the game. We now have one third. Thirty three percent of this game is now gone because they knew that they would need at least at least another year 12 mm-hmm. months to do that third act and they they didn't so it was the third act was going to feature chief and the arbiter teaming up to defeat the prophets discovering the ark and fighting their way through the ark facing multiple scarabs and finally making their way back to earth and that's how halo 
as a franchise was supposed to end. I mean, that's exactly how Halo 2 ended. You <laughs> fought a couple of things. You had some really long cutscenes with some floaty orb that and... Johnson was on and, you know, with Spark and... That's it. It was great. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if, you know, at this point, it's like, okay, we just have to end with Chief saying uh, that famous line, sir, finishing the fight. Mm -hmm. uh, but so many, if not all of the Bungie employees hated that ending. You know, they felt it was like, quote, disjointed. And to this day, Halo 2 is regarded as one of the one of the greatest video games of all time with one of literally the worst endings of all time. I know, like, Martin O'Donnell said, he's like, just Google it right now. Google worst video game ending. Halo 2 will pop up. So it's crazy to think that, like, it's such a contrast between, like, such a great game, fuck that ending. Yeah, and I would say Halo 2 probably bumps it up from worst because 3 actually came out. Yeah. If, if a third game never came out and that was the ending, mm -hmm. you're like, cool. Yeah, then thanks, that, thanks for making the middle movie. Yeah. <laughs> like thanks for taking the story building one. Yeah, but by the end of development, some weren't sure if Bungie could stay together afterwards. Development costs some employees end up single from relationships and marriages. Yeah. This game cost people their marriage. Like I really want to emphasize like any critiques you have about this game, realized everything they went through, realized their ambition and what they wanted to do for us. They wanted to give us the best thing ever because they thought they were going to go out with a bang. But between these time crunches, these unrealistic expectations, we got what we got, which is a pretty damn good game. And we'll go into gameplay and the campaign and everything else. But at the end of the day, it cost people their marriages, man. Yeah, and and realize that's what a lot of production does. And every I want everybody to understand this: whether a game is great or good or terrible, mm -hmm. there's always a production team and humans behind it. I mean, that's one of the big things with Anthem right now. I don't know if you followed that news, but I personally have not. But Anthem uh, was basically a huge, huge game that came out that EA was pushing hardcore. That basically all the Mass Effect developers went to go produce. Yeah, and it is garbage it's yeah. broken it's terrible and it was one of those games kind of like this where it was rushed yeah I, I don't know how much well bungie wasn't rushed or not bungie but destiny itself wasn't rushed but even the first game like i played it and then when i was done i was like what did i just do mm -hmm. like so always like you got to think like this is this is an art like if yeah, you think is. about it and you know some people love love the art and some people don't like it. So at the end of the day, like this this really wore down on everyone. As I said, it was to the point that the studio thought, like, are we gonna be able to ever do another game again? Like, cause there's no like we're shattered at this point. Mm -hmm. And I think like there's a really cool quote. It's not cool, it's actually very depressing that sums up the development of this game. So, quote. There's a famous drawing that someone did on a whiteboard in the team's space that shows a plane on fire trying to land on a runway. And people were jettisoning cargo crates out of the back of the plane in order to try to get it on the runway. Every crate has a name of a feature we had to cut. In the end, we ran out of room on the whiteboard for all the crates. Wow. Isn't that crazy? You gotta think it's probably a big whiteboard, too. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of those big ones. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just assuming it's a game studio, man. They don't have any time for small whiteboards. Not the small ones, the big one. 
so that was it you know one third of the campaign was cut out entirely it still had to release in november when it did so before we go into the campaign itself let's move on to how they marketed this campaign because mm-hmm. they had some pretty interesting things they did now of course i talked about that that initial trailer uh that they had released with the cgi that kind of set their expectations mm-hmm. high and really got everyone hyped up but then we also had E3 2003, which we talked about that that playable demo that was absolutely not playable, essentially. Yeah. And then we had E3 2004, which this is where it got interesting. Yeah, because a few days before they were going to hold this presentation for the 04 E3, they held a private party in Beverly Hills, and it was decorated to resemble the Halo universe, and it was attended by many celebrities. So they're trying to get kind of mm-hmm. the, the celeb word out. Yeah. And then, so after this party at E3, we would see an actual demo of Halo 2 multiplayer showcasing the new Spartan armor, elites, and weapons. After the demo showcased, however, it would it would actually be playable mm-hmm. to E3 attendees. Which is which is you know like you and I had that discussion about like is E3 going to last? I think little things like that, especially in like the prime of Halo, like was a reason that E3 was so big for so long. You didn't. You you couldn't. You couldn't sign someone for a beta test. That's that's one of the big things. Is mm-hmm. that back then you'd have to ship them the system. You'd ship them the gear for all this. So yeah. that's a whole another story. But yeah, it's 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 really cool that they actually had demos and you mm-hmm. know lights and just cool fanfare. For well, all. Dude, I even today like you know there's Halo Outpost Discovery, which it's up in the air if we're going, but. Uh, like something like that was unheard of having like this house decorated to look like it's the theme and like of of Halo universe mm-hmm. like I think that's absolutely uh, crazy and if they did that today I would love it not just like the outpost thing but even just this weird private event uh, so you know of course we had multiple trailers that were released some story ones some for television some that were released online uh, they also did what they kind of did with combat evolved is they had a few websites Halo2.com was like the first time they made a website just for the game itself alongside Mm -hmm. Bungie. And they also did this different route with a website called I Love Bees because Bungie has to be very cryptic about their marketing sometimes. Mm -hmm. I've never truly understood it. I can appreciate it, but by all means, I I don't understand it. So what was I Love Bees, Alex? So I Love Bees, when I looked into this and looked at like the pre-pages mm-hmm. so it acted as a beekeeper's website that had gotten taken over by an ai and so it featured many audio clips pertaining to the prologue of halo 2's story so it's kind of yeah. similar to what we got with ce yeah and i listened to some of them i couldn't really make the con- like that's what like with our research that's what it was kind of pointing to but it's like i would listen to some and i'm like i have no i can't do this thing like i can't i can't connect these dots here it's yeah. just just seem more cryptic for you. Yeah, exactly. But but you but you got to appreciate that they were still doing very out of the box things like this, you know. And so it was really cool to see that. And another thing that was very unique, uh, sort of. I know Xbox was doing this in general, but we had the Halo Two Council. Mm-hmm. The Halo Two Council was a group of celebrities that would help promote Halo Two. These celebrities included Wilmer Valderrama, Fez from that '70s show, Benjamin McKenzie from the OC. Aisha Taylor from Criminal Minds and Jeremy Shockey of the New York Giants and the bands Hoobastank, Incubus, and Linkin Park. 
Kind of bullshit they didn't include Breaking Benjamin on there, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, these celebrities were given an advanced copy of Halo 2, which included a case that had a portable Xbox, an HD 15-inch screen, and an Ethernet cable, and two controllers with an Xbox Live headset. They were also offered VIP tours of Bungie Studios, voiceover uh, recording sessions as well, and access to Halo 2 during development processes. That's cool. So that's really neat that that case they gave them only, you know, weighed probably about 400 pounds. <laughs> it's really portable. Well, I remember even when, like, the 360 came out, like, that, like those cases were, like, the shit, like, to have, like, a little, like, screen on there and whatnot, mm-hmm. like, for it to be portable, because you gotta think, like, maybe you're on a train for seven or eight hours. If you have one of those, like, that can consume a lot of your time in 2007, like, make the day go by. Ooh, where are you gonna find a plug on a train? What are you doing? How much space are you taking up on this train for your portable Xbox? The last time I took a train from Chicago, I had both seats and we had plugs, so... Oh, <laughs> that kind of train, not like a morning commute train. Oh, no, 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 like no. Subway. no. Well, no, that's why I meant like seven-hour train. Got um. it. Got it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so, you know, these members of the Halo 2 Council promoted the game through Halo-related events. One notable event was actresses Aisha Tyler's birthday party, where 100 guests attended, and they were going to play advanced versions of the multiplayer, which, mm-hmm. again, super cool. Can you imagine? There, there had to be a handful of the people within that group that were Halo fans, if not all of them. That's why they were selected. So I think that would be really, really cool, like, to, to be able to say, like, because like, you got to think, Halo Two was such a big part of video game history, so to be part of that and see the behind the scenes, I think is pretty damn legendary. Mm-hmm. So, so what happened along with you know some this kind of I want to say marketing, like there was a yeah, leak. so so not necessarily marketing in the way you'd normally have it, but on October fourteenth, two thousand four, twenty seven days before its November 9th release date, a complete version of Halo Two was leaked and available online through different pirating sites. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't it do was that. it was a pirated PAL version of the game with French language dialogue, which more than likely meant whoever they sent the game out to do the French translation probably leaked it. Because mm-hmm. that's if you if you ever so we don't, we've never done it in our lives, but if you ever pirate a movie mm-hmm. and it's in a different language and the movie's not released yet on like Blu-ray mm-hmm. and it's not a screen grab, it's typically from a translator. So you know they all Bungie just were just eyeing the French office so hard. yeah it, it was like reading through this article but it was nuts like microsoft was basically like bringing down the ban hammer and saying like listen we're figuring out whoever did this and you know putting a steep penalty to it mm-hmm. and what's crazy is a message directed at members of the bungie.net forums warned quote a link on this forum of you know to download the the game will be permanently banned and those who listed their gamer tag in their Bungie.net profile would risk having their Xbox Live accounts' ability to play Halo 2 crippled. We are not kidding around here. Yeah, that's just like, that's like last minute shit going on. Like, that's like a worst case contingency plan. Like, yeah, I mean, to, to have all the development cycle, to r- scrap it, to do this, to that, to then eventually have the whole game leaked. Yeah. Right before release is crazy. Now, from the the articles I read from back then, mm-hmm. Bungie's like or Bungie and Microsoft's like it had no impact on sales, which we'll talk about kind of in the release stuff. Yeah. But apparently had no impact on sales, but it probably gave the PR team the biggest headache they've ever had. Yeah. Well, you gotta think maybe even like it might have helped because you gotta think of what few people played it were like, holy shit, get this game. Yeah. Like, I mean, 
I would say like even more so if that was today, when you actually had mm-hmm. streamers and YouTubers who'd be like, yeah. I check out this. Like back then, it was basically just a message board, yeah. which well, is nuts. Well, think of Halo Online. Mm-hmm. When that released, so many streamers were getting their stuff taken down. But at the end of the day, like all these people were just like, oh my God, you need to play this. And with those streamers getting behind it just overnight, like that 0.6 patch that El Dorito put on just skyrocketed it. It's really like it sucked that that happened, but like. The the amount of hype that was around this game, and we'll talk about the general reaction, like, there's no way something like that would have hurt it. Yeah, and like I said, I, I don't ever pirate anything, but if you guys wanted the 0.6.0 El Dorito patch, it just might happen to be on Pirate Bay, and there might yeah. just happen to be a link on Reddit to get the 6.1 mm-hmm. patch to be able to the 0.6.1 patch to play. There's a possibility all you have to do is look up, like... You know, Xbox or uh, Halo Online, or even just El Dorito 0.6 patch, and it might be one of the first things that show yeah, you up. You might find it. You know, we're not saying, but you know, if we ever were to do that, that's just speculation. So now, before we get into the last thing I want to cover before we get into kind of the campaign and the the playthrough itself, is what is new? Which they added. You know, the point of this was for them to add all the things they couldn't in Halo Combat Evolved. So they added a lot of really, really cool things. Uh, and the first thing I think that everyone noticed was no more health bar. Mm-hmm. You just had your shields and then X amount of times until you died or got shot and then you died, essentially. Yeah, because Halo 2 came out about that same time that I think everyone kind of either piggybacked off that or everyone's kind of doing it because Call of Duty switched to that where your screen just became really red and uh-huh. other games kind of followed suit where you didn't necessarily even have a shield it was just like you had some sort of thing and then no health bar and whatever you had would regenerate yeah, back your eyes would go red and you'd bleed <laughs> yes. out of your eyes until you, you bleed took out your cover. eyes until you wiped them off <laughs> so yeah uh and also of course the shield would recharge faster yes. that's literally the first thing you do in the game is find out i have no more health and my shield is now faster yeah, they, they even make a uh, comment when the guy's setting you up he's like we got you a faster shield yeah <laughs> and then uh you also had playable elites in the multiplayer and campaign which was a first for the Halo franchise, especially, and I, I guess I brain farted, but doing research about this because I hadn't touched Halo 2 multiplayer in probably 10 years at this point. So then, it like the second I saw it was like playable elites in the multiplayer, I was like, oh yeah, that was as far back as Halo 2. Mm-hmm. But another thing yeah, we had. You, you play as a stupid elite multiplayer. <laughs> I love playing as the elite. <laughs> so yeah, and then also we had characters boarding vehicles, which I liked that the developers got this idea from. Grand Theft Auto Vice City, which is crazy to think that a game like Halo, a sci-fi first-person military shooter, takes inspiration from Vice City, killing hookers. Well, not just that. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's cool, and it it really made the game dynamic, especially mm-hmm. for multiplayer. Yeah, because then the second someone gets on a vehicle, you're not screwed. Like you have a fighting chance, essentially. So I like that they really thought about all these kind of things. Another thing we saw, we have two boss fights in the game. Mm-hmm. One of them pretty easy. One of them pretty hard, which we'll go into once we do our uh, walk through the campaign. We also had. Brutes. This is the first time we'd see the Brutes. I know if you listen to our previous episode, that's technically when they got introduced into the franchise, but this is the first time we would actually... Visually, actual confirmation of what mm -hmm. they are. Yeah, we actually get to see them, see how they fight. Um, I like the early concepts of the Brutes. At first, showed them having three eyes, and then again, being Cyclops. And I know they also got inspiration from uh, Chewbacca from Star Wars. Yeah, you can definitely see it. It's pretty... Yeah, because that was right when the the original, or the... the The, 
the, the prequels. prequels were coming out. So, of course, people were, had Star Wars on the mind. Um, another thing that we saw for the first time were buggers. And buggers were actually born from early concepts of the prophets. I actually did like looking into some early concepts of these new characters because it was cool. Again, buggers came from the prophets. I would have never expected that. Mm-hmm. We also had, uh, of course, the prophets themselves. We finally got to see them in this game. Now, early concepts of the prophets had them portrayed almost as like these ghost or phantom like creatures. But the direction kind of shifted because they, they wanted the, the prophets to look feeble but sinister, which I, I did like those early concepts as well. Uh, we had new sentinel enemies, which we'll, we'll go into. Uh, that we also saw phantoms, which yeah, so, became so now uh, we're jumping because one of the biggest jumps for me as we get into this with with Halo Two was vehicles uh-huh. with either changes or new ones, as well as weapons. So you want to start off with those vehicles? Yeah. So so phantoms, which replaced the spirit mm-hmm. and became kind of a staple within Halo for many many years to come. Yes, yeah, so you, you didn't have the tuning fork coming in anymore. No, you had, no. Which I liked the spirits, so it was nice whenever we saw them come back mm-hmm. in Halo Reach. Uh, we also we also had boosts on the ghosts, which was different and crazy, and make just just a whole new level for the gameplay and like multiplayer and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, we could finally drive the wraith, which was really really cool. So that itself wasn't new, but driving it was, uh, as well as the goshog for the first time. Just that powerhouse, that yeah. badass machine. Uh, and then we also uh, saw a new Scorpion tank, more updated, and it could actually shoot just regular rounds now instead of just firing that one uh, cannon shot. Uh, and then we also saw the Spectre for the first time, which was kind of the uh, Covenant Warhog. Mm-hmm. And the, the Spectre is pretty fun to use. We also had this uh, Covenant Transport vehicle, and the, I don't think you ever get to drive those. You, you just got to kill them. Yeah, because we only see them in outskirts. Whenever you're kind of just flying through, trying to get to the end, that's when you first uh-huh. see what we're going to see is a Scarab. But the Scarab kind of shoot that Warthog mm-hmm. down below deck. It's yeah, well, we had saw it in the, the beginning of the, the mission, which that's something that's on the list is is the Scarab. Like, mm-hmm. you see that for the first time, and that was really, really cool to see, like, this big, giant machine, like, you didn't know the Covenant had. And it gave me a lot of War, War, or War of the World vibes, which I love that book. Yeah. And so, like, it was very nostalgic for me seeing that. And I think they I think they got a huge inspiration from that. I'd like to have thought. I couldn't. I tried to do some research. I couldn't find anything. But we also saw some new stuff on top of uh, the vehicle. Something I want to add in is real-time reflections, which I think is, like, at the time was pretty revolutionary to see. But let's move on to weapons. So yeah, so this was one of my favorite things that changed within the game, and I would say one of the major aspects that probably sticks with most people is the introduction of dual wielding, mm-hmm. which allowed for weapon combos, whether it be a Covenant or UN- UNSC weapon, you'd put one in either hand uh, and then fire it that way. So you can charge up a plasma pistol and then have a SMG, SMG take them or you know, like whatever other hand held and just take them out, kind of create your own new yeah. combo with it that we'll talk about a little bit. Yeah, like or like a plasma rifle and then SMG. That was like a that was a good oh, way to take out. Super nice, yeah. especially for anything with shields. Just burn the shield down mm-hmm. and do immediate damage. Yeah, so stuff like that, introducing these new techniques and combinations. Yeah, it, it was a whole revolutionary feel that kind of brought it back to Goldeneye and those yeah. type of games where you could dual wield stuff, even though it was crazy, weirdly overpowered and fun. <laughs> like it still created these new combinations, and so. To start off with our UNSC, mm-hmm. like you said, we were introduced to the SMG. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's the little rat-a-tat-tat gun. Yeah, that, 
I, I never liked the SMG personally. It was, it was a better assault rifle in the way that you could dual wield it, mm-hmm. and it was quicker. Yeah, I don't know. It just it sometimes I felt like a little underpowered. Maybe I'm crazy, but no, it, it definitely was. I, I I think it was trying to be on par to the damage output between single shots of plasma pistol and plasma rifle. That's kind yeah. of what it felt to me was in yeah. between that. So what else do we got? Uh, so this is the introduction of one of Halo's biggest staples, which is the battle rifle, uh-huh. which is a three-round burst rifle that allowed a two-time scope uh, that created the noob combo, which was basically a fully charged plasma blast from your plasma pistol would drain a shield completely, mm-hmm. and then you just pull out the battle rifle, headshot, they're dead. Yeah, and then we had that that new Magnum, right? Which So, so the new Magnum, a lot of people, uh, it. we first hear somewhat of an introduction to it in First Strike mm-hmm. whenever Halsey's telling Red Team, I think, when Red Team's with her, like, hey, yeah. I got a new pistol surprise for you. Here's this pile of shit. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I personally love it. Uh, it has no zoom. It is definitely weaker than the Magnums in the first game. Mm-hmm. Fire rate's up, though, and you get some dual-wielding pistols, you get some Wild West action going, uh-huh. oh. can't be stopped. Yeah, there, there was definitely a trade-off, uh, and I'd say, like, everyone loves the Combat Evolved pistol, but I think, I, I definitely don't think that it belongs in the realism of a Halo. Like, I know people are going to get upset being like, oh, you don't, like, it, it's a fun thing, but when you look at Halo and how grounded the story and the weapons are, like, that, it doesn't belong. Like, let's be honest. It's fun, but it didn't belong. And it could have been changed with more of their talks with military experts yeah. in the real world mm-hmm. about how it's a sidearm. It's not yeah. supposed to be this, like, pow, pow, you're it's dead. It's not supposed to be a sniper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so we also had some changes to the rocket launcher. Yep. So the rocket launcher, uh, it still has your two-round reload, but it can now lock on to, I don't want to say just vehicles, but turrets, vehicles, anything that's like a mountable target. Yeah, which which made gameplay a lot easier and a lot smoother for gameplay and making targets not, like you're not really kind of guessing if you're going to hit them or trying to predict where they're going. Now you lock on, you're good to go. Well, especially with sky battles. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it really changed with multiplayer having the Banshees in there yeah. and being able to fly that around and having the maneuverability of it. Mm-hmm. You can now... You're now scared to kind of still be in a vehicle and in the sky yeah. if the other team gets rockets. Well, that's one thing they wanted to introduce was balance. And mm-hmm. I think they did very, very well, especially, you know, we'll touch on our our uh, multiplayer night that we did. But, yeah, like finding a good balance, I think, was pretty key. And I think they, they hit the nail on the head. Yeah. So one other thing with UNSC weapons, huh. uh, removal, no assault rifle. Oh yeah, 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 and that's that's part of the our, our laundry list of cut shit. But yeah, like, which I am fine with. <laughs> well, I it improved, it improved, and in in CE it wasn't the best weapon. So I think they definitely needed something that was more like an assault rifle, yeah. which was the SMG, and then we needed something that was more like a rifle. I I agree, I agree, but we'll talk more about my hate on that in further games but you're right let's let's go over to the covenant now yeah um so jesse start us off so we got one of my favorite the brute shot mm-hmm. i love this thing and I, I love it more in halo 3 but they definitely introduced it you had like what 12 rounds with a brute shot in this game it was so insane 16 total because you get a four in the chamber and 12 extra oh yeah it was four in the chamber yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I i got it mixed up but yeah you had 
that thing was just awesome. And the second you got one from a brute, it was amazing. And of course, when you did the melee, it had just this giant blade on it, like almost like a Serbian looking blade. Like it was, it was really cool to see that they started adding a little bit of culture to these enemies, not yeah. just like not just having them be these random enemies, but like here's a gun that's specifically for them. And I think it sums them up as a weapon. It does, and th- and that's what I really love as we go through this list of especially brute weapons. Uh-huh. Was they are very brutal. Yeah. And they they had high damage outputs at certain times. Mm-hmm. Uh, each one, I for the most part, I believe, had some sort of blade on it. Yeah, and then they, like we got more of those in later games. Um, but yeah, like the giving the brutes their own culture, and we'll talk about that in Halo Three as well. Like really. Like, you know, letting these enemies have, like, very specific things that they do, how they shoot, how they fight. Like, mm-hmm. I think that was, like, such a staple thing for Halo that other games were starting to borrow from. But along with the brute shot, we had uh, the carbine. Like, we could we could use that. And I, I actually, when it comes to, like, a game that doesn't have, like, a BR, say, like, uh, in Reach, I prefer the carbine over the, the DMR. Because you can shoot a lot quicker with it. Uh, we also had the fuel rod cannon that was playable for the first time in the campaign. Mm-hmm. I know that we could play it on the PC, PC. version of so I guess, Combat Evolved. I, I guess you would say first on console as well. Yeah, yeah. So first time we could play mm-hmm. it on console in general. Uh, we were also able to use the energy sword for the first time, which was a big deal because everyone loved that thing. And the first time you ever played Combat Evolved, you shot the elite and you're and like, you're I'm going to go for it. And then it just, <laughs> you're like looking around like it's almost like, have you seen that video of a uh, raccoon that's holding uh, cotton candy? Cotton candy. And it goes <laughs> yeah. in the water and it just looks so confused because it doesn't understand. So it was essentially like that we had to experience. Now, we also got a plasma rifle, but it was red mm-hmm. because it was the brute. Little details like that I liked. All they had to do was change the skin, but yet it was like stuff like that I think really mattered. And what I love with it is that it had a faster firing rate. Uh So it could put more damage output, but it would overheat just that same amount sped up. Yeah, but again, kind of like that that that, br- that brutal ass. Yeah, yeah. No, no pun intended. But yeah, it was like it was supposed to show that these guys, at least, like you know, they're they're tanks. So by all means, everything that they do and the kind of weapons they're going to use are going to be tanks as well. Uh, another thing we have is the the uh, particle beam rifle, which is basically just the Covenant sniper rifle, mm-hmm. which everyone called. And it, I have I can't remember the last time I've seen particle beam rifle because you added that to the notes and I, I had to like Google it. I was like wait what is he talking about I was like yeah it's a sniper rifle yeah, the Covenant sniper. <laughs> yeah I can't remember the last time I called it that uh, and then something we'll touch on just a little bit is that secret scarab gun mm-hmm. which it, it's crazy to think that that like the developers thought it would take users years to find they found that in a month yeah a month which makes me wonder like how like because there are people out there who will get games and just try to break the map so clearly they were just trying to break the map found this and had to go on some kind of forum and someone's like no you're lying and then sure enough they found it too and that's that's what i wanted to bring up too are we past are are games polished enough this is totally off topic but are games polished enough that we we don't have necessarily map breaking abilities like that anymore uh, I want to say that we can still break the map, but by all means, it's not like to find like an Easter egg. Like no, yeah. no game is perfect, but you know, I I think kind of that that legacy of like having to go on forums to find this kind of stuff out is dead. Because we even had someone on our Discord say like, "Are you guys going to talk about that?" Because I have like memories of like vague, shitty descriptions on forums. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of that era of gaming is is dead for sure. Now we just have YouTube, YouTube walkthroughs, yeah. yeah. And also for for finally uh, the weapons, we had uh, some sentinel beams, uh, which was cool that we're seeing 
the at the time, you know, forerunners were so ambiguous and so mysterious, and I love that. So if we got just a little bit of technology from them, whether it was seeing a sentinel or using a sentinel beam to fight, I always loved that in the very beginning of Halo. So some other things that were new was uh, the game engine. They had the Quake engine, as well as they had a uh, physics engine called Havoc. And that changed the way that the vehicles worked, the projectiles worked, and the environment and how it was built. So, again, they weren't just doing a reskin of Combat Evolved. And as we had just talked about the past hour, uh, they had to rebuild this game, like, twice. Yeah, and, and you can really see, like, we talked about just things they really wanted to put in there but mm-hmm. couldn't. Yeah, and we we're starting to see that. So, also, some new things is that Halo 2 featured... 21,090 lines of dialogue versus the 1,000 to 2,000 lines in Halo Combat Evolved. Now, granted, 21,090 is, like, not the official one. I've seen some that say 30,000. I've seen some that said 10,000. That's the one that I found that was a happy medium, but significantly more than Combat Evolved regardless. Another thing I loved is Halo 2 was the first game in the franchise to feature truly famous actors, including Ron Perlman, Keith David, Julie Benz, David Cross, Michelle Rodriguez, John Michael Higgins, Laura Prepon, Kevin Michael Richardson, and Brian Posen. Brian Posen was also just in St. Louis recently, just Mm -hmm. so you all know. I love that even Martin O'Donnell himself lended his voice as Jackals, Hunters, and the Flood. And even Martin O'Donnell's father... Bob O'Donnell Bob was <laughs> Bob O'D was in the game uh, in the very very beginning when you hear that that uh, Sang Shayum uh, say which is a prophet say nay it was heresy that was his father I didn't know that and I thought that was pretty fucking cool I love development stuff like this because like you can picture Bungie and Halo Two as like these top tier things but once again mm-hmm. go to the humanity thing let's just put our friends in it. Yeah, like some cool people in this. Yeah, and as I said, Orlando Jones was also in this, so it was like cool to see that we're seeing these these A list actors start coming in, especially when you have like Ron Perlman in there. Like Mm -hmm. you recognize him instantly. Keith David, he voiced pretty much everything. Yeah, and then even like he was he was in some of my uh, one of my favorite films, The Thing, and then you have uh, Orlando Jones. And one of my favorite movies growing up, uh, Evolution. So it's like crazy. Ron Perlman, Hellboy, like seeing all these famous people. uh, It's just like it was really cool that it started to become more of a cinematic thing. Exactly. That's what I was just going to bring up. This is where you're getting into that cinematic movie universe of Mm -hmm. making a game. You're making a cinematic piece of Mm -hmm. active art. Yeah, and As again, opposed to like passive when you're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, thank Joe Staten for this because he implemented a lot of this stuff, you know. And it was cool seeing how like it would be Joe and Marty in the studio, and and Joe would like react to something. Like Joe would explain how someone should sound in a paragraph, and then uh, Martin O'Donnell would, would just be like, act a little more excited, and they would just be like, okay. So it's you would see like uh, how much Joe was invested in this, and I think like truly like seeing him talk about this game there's such conviction behind everything he says and everything he wanted in the game so definitely like those two alone thank them for like these amazing scenes and music and everything we got and we truly almost got a movie from this we did i mean if if you guys have the chance look up the older youtube clips of them putting the score together mm-hmm. putting uh, the uh, actors in the booth to do sound yeah. recording just look at those things and just 
it's so cool to be in that moment, like a fly mm-hmm. on the wall stuff. Yeah, it it I that's why I love researching games because, uh, especially like these, because it's just seeing these documentaries about all this stuff. It's pretty damn cool. So now let's dive into one of the most legendary and iconic campaigns out there. Uh, that's what Jesse says. <laughs> hey, it this is regarded as one of the best games. Of all time, and that means the campaign as well has to be one of the greatest campaigns of all time. No, I agree. I'm just, I'm just messing around. I Halo 2, as I've said before, is probably my favorite game in the series, mm-hmm. followed I, by 3. Especially when we did that uh, Meet the Host episode, it was very much like you had a lot of stories about Halo 2. Yeah, I mean, it, it was my childhood into middle school, into mm-hmm. you know high school type days of, of playing Halo online, especially yeah. when we kind of talk about it, that... This being a launch with like Xbox Live and and going with that, that yeah, it really really pushed for online multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's let's go into it. And the campaign is kind of set up very uniquely. We had missions that really shouldn't have been a mission. It was just yeah, a cutscene. It, it was so so. It's it's quote unquote fifteen chapters. It's more like seven or eight because it's like almost every mission is split up into two missions, yep. which. I didn't know for years until like I actually looked at the list one day and I was like, it's not 15 missions. I was like, oh, it's because Heretic is a quote unquote mission, but it's a two minute cutscene. So yes. this is very odd. So yeah, it starts out with Heretic. For failures such as this, no punishment is too great. And I love that we start out with we're at we're at uh, the Halo from Combat Evolved, and we see High Charity, this the main hub for the Covenant, and we see Thelvidam, which we don't know his name at the time. We see this character who uh, is on trial, and he's describing the events of Combat Evolved, and he's basically in trouble. Like mm-hmm. there's no way he's getting out of this. He let the sacred ring get destroyed. Mm -hmm. And so, again, this is that first time we see the Covenant side. And something that people didn't like, I don't care, is like, why are they talking? Why are they speaking English? It's like, because it's it's a made up video game. That's why. Like, clearly, the Covenant, it's said in the lore, they have their own language. But we, the the UNSC has translators. And and think of it this way. Think of, let's say, as we in the world use English as a, um, like, the native language for business and travel. Yeah. They use it to communicate between all of the Covenant because they're all different yeah. species. Yeah, uh, sure. So yeah, like we're gonna go with that. But no, it's really cool to see that he's basically uh, he's done for. They're gonna strip him of his rank. He is no longer allowed to be a commander. Mm-hmm. End quote. He will not be able to go on the great journey for his quote heresy. And this is the first time we see brutes as well. Yeah. So this is if you guys remember from reading First Strike, this is where the book left off. Yeah, it literally says, like, all right, let's deal with this guy. And we also see Tartarus that we see from First Strike, which Mm -hmm. something I like about Tartarus is, you know, he's that big white brute. He looks different. They got his design from Stripe from the Gremlins. That makes sense. Yeah, because they were literally like, how how are we supposed to know that this guy's like head honcho? They're like, well, Stripe had a mohawk. Let's just give this guy a mohawk. (laughs) And and it did kind of work because Tartarus is one of my favorite characters. So I I really liked seeing that. Uh, This is one of the only one of only four levels with no game play again it's a level but it's really just a cutscene. it's kind of that weird thing so then now we're also moving on to the armory which is the quote-unquote second mission suit up prepare for battle yeah so this this is where you are going to finally take control uh as master chief yeah uh so you see chief suiting up his new armor um, and you're kind of coming to. So this is uh, Mark 6, I believe. Yeah, five, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I believe it's Mark 6. 5 that, or 6. Sue us if we don't know. 
It's six. <laughs> I'm standing my ground. So it's so it's six, and you have uh, the armory gunny is walking you around and kind of going through stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is where he takes you with the shield generator, and he's like, "Hey, we got you to new upgraded shields. Mm-hmm. Upgrade, they recharge faster." So that's yep. kind of a little cue that gives you an idea on how the game goes. Uh-huh. And and so as the gunnery sergeant is finishing up with you, Johnson arrives on basically a monorail. Yeah, yeah. It, which you know I love. It's like. He wonder he you see him dressed up in uniform, a uh, white uniform with with all his medals and whatnot. And then it's like, of course, it's like, how did you make it off of that ring? And it's like, oh, that's classified. It's like, well, it was, it was <laughs> such a good like little throwaway line because because uh-huh. the gunnery sergeant's like, how'd you make it back? And he's like, ah, there's some stuff I just can't talk about. It's classified. And then you yeah. see the guy get all pissed off. And, and so it's like, I'm not going to upgrade your scope. And then the, <laughs> yeah. then you kind of ride this. So it's like a monorail elevator, uh-huh. basically. Yeah. And I like how, how uh, Johnson talks about Earth. He's like, I haven't seen it in years. Like, it's really cool. Like, the, again, we start developing more of this character, like this hard ass who like has a special place for seeing Earth. And then he even talks about how like all the space stations w- didn't even exist when he first enlisted. Like, mm-hmm. he's like, this is all just theories. Like, and now look at it. Yeah, it's really cool because, you know, he's in like in all his garb and the chief's going with them. And it's Uh just this uh, monorail just sequence for you. It's just a rail sequence with you showing off how cool the space station is. Yeah. And knowing they're on Earth, like it's setting the setting and showing you all these different space hubs Mm -hmm. and artillery batteries and Mac guns that are outside, Mm -hmm. like how well defended it is. Yeah. And then so as this is going on, Chief goes and you find out that they're going to a ceremony for the work that happened on the Halo ring. Mm -hmm. And at the same time that, you know, everyone there is kind of getting these awards and medals. We see the opposite end of the spectrum. We're starting to see this giant ceremony of, uh, you know, who will be the arbiter having his rank stripped from him and, you know, everyone calling him a heretic and whatnot. And so it's crazy to see just how the UNSC react to a victory versus how the Covenant react to a defeat. And, you know, the arbiter is branded as a uh, as a traitor. He gets mm-hmm. a literal brand on his chest. Yeah. And we even hear that iconic line, like, uh, he says, if they came to hear me beg, they'll be disappointed. Like, so we're automatically learning about this character. He's kind of a badass. Like, he knows he screwed up, but that doesn't mean he's not going to have his head held high. Yeah, and, and cinematically, it's a beautiful shot, because obviously uh-huh. you're getting juxtaposition. Yeah. But you're also seeing that... The Arbiter and the Chief aren't that different. No, It's no. kind of that classic, like, we're enemies, but we're not so different after mm-hmm. all. There's not as much dichotomy as you would assume. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool to see that. But then, you know, in the midst of this, all of a sudden, a... Uh, well, let's back up a little bit. We we meet Miranda Keys for the first time, mm-hmm. and she gets she gets a medal for her father. Yes, her, and so you know you can see like she sniffles a little bit. She's sad, but then in the midst of all this, the Covenant attack, which we kind of knew what was was coming, but then you know even Lord Hood says like this is a relatively small fleet, which we kind of discuss later, mainly because Chief and Blue Team blew it up, but they couldn't necessarily make a reference to a book mm-hmm. that people didn't read. Yeah. But then, so yeah, uh, then Chief says, you know, hey, I I need a weapon, and then that's when we start the game. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so the game officially starts at that point, uh-huh. and that's when we jump over to Cairo Station. Yeah, so again, a weird thing where the armory, the, the heretic, the armory, and Cairo Station could have all been one level, but it was divided into three. So yeah, Cairo Station, defend the station's mat guns from the Covenant 
borders. And this is a kind of reminiscent, again, we're going to see a lot of parallels between Combat Evolved and Halo 2. We're on a, we're on a space station in space, and the Covenant come through a door and attack. So, and it, it, Yeah, it, not, not a space station on ground. A space station in space. Space station. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what I mean. It, it was so, this is the first time again, we, we uh, like uh, Combat Evolved, there's no jackals on this. First thing we see are elites and grunts. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and just so you guys know, we're not going to be walking you through every twist and turn of this. We're going to give you very general walkthroughs because y- you've played the game. You kind of know. We may say one or two things that might be, spark some nostalgia but by all means there are walkthroughs on youtube or just play the game yourself because it's a fucking great game but yeah so essentially uh we start to fight our way through the first wave of covenant and then throughout that as we're fighting through we see a space station off in the distance destroyed just Mm -hmm. completely blows up which i like that the uh, developer said that a lot of people never noticed that originally like whenever they, they, they did the anniversary Edition, they had to like really emphasize that, which is crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, I saw it, but you know, well, just being... well I'm not. Uh, we're not trying to sound like those guys, but I mean, it was like hard not to notice that because everything blanks and all your other AIs are looking out the window. Well, and especially because this is also the first time we see these kind of crazy like drop pods from the covenant that uh-huh. kind of like suction cup to glass and like cut mm-hmm. a hole through it and create mm-hmm. their own atmosphere. Well that and we didn't have as much like we in Combat Evolved we didn't have as much going on miles out in the distance. Yeah, that's, that's I will true. say that. We, we didn't have like really any cinematics that mm-hmm. could happen on their own plane. It had to kind of be all rendered within where it was. Mm-hmm. And then yeah apparently then then Athens station is also destroyed. And then I know at one point you make your way into a courtyard um and we will be talking about vaguely where you can find the skulls, but on top of the courtyard, you can find uh, the skull there next to Johnson's cigar. Yeah, so we'll touch on this. Like like we said earlier, um, we're not going crazy in depth with all of this because if you guys wanted, you Google, you know, you Google skulls. Yeah, and this would be a five hour, five or six hour episode <laughs> yeah. if we went into turn by turn of how to get the skulls, how to get this, you know. Which, uh, if you guys just pay us enough money, I will gladly. ASMR read you all of the, <laughs> the skull, walk through the walk through the skulls and going yeah. back just a little bit there is also a skull on the armory uh, mm-hmm. and you get it when you're riding the train of the ceremony oh, you, yeah, you grab yeah, it yeah. from outside oh, yeah, yeah. last thing for us to say about skulls if you guys bitch about us for this you can only get them on legendary they're all but one all, okay. All but one. But yeah, either way, um, that's why I don't get skulls, because I don't play Legendary, because <laughs> I like having fun. I've had people shit on me for that before legitimately, but uh, not my hill to die upon. Understandable. But yeah, and then eventually, I like this is the first time you make your way outside of the station, and you're in space yes. fighting elites outside, which is so cool. You see, like, and technically it's space, so there should be zero noise, but you still, it's like the noise. <laughs> the first very... thing you hear is these elites that have jetpacks. Yeah, and you <laughs> yeah. and you start firing and it's like it's like that's not actually how that it's, works it's at least muffled yeah I'll yeah, yeah that. that anytime you do space battles in halo it's always muffled but that was cool for the first time and like the stations kind of rocking up and down and back and forth uh so then what you know after that space battle you have to make your way back in and we see drones for the first time mm-hmm. you're going down that elevator boys. and man i love drones but i hate them because especially if there's like more than three they suck and they're easy to go down. Like, that's the thing. They're easy to go down, but it's a strength in numbers kind of thing. Yeah, and especially if you jump up to Legendary, which Jesse doesn't know about. Uh, <laughs> when you do get the strength in numbers thing, like, when you do a lot of them with plasma pistols or needlers, like, it's it's tough. 
but they are one of the like spongiest and easiest enemies of the game mm-hmm. besides yeah. them be able to fly around and kind of get to where they need to go. Yeah, if you have an automatic weapon, it's you just literally like a spray BR and pray. Yeah, yeah, it's a spray and pray. But yeah, so uh, we we find out that the Covenant actually have a bomb on the space station. So we make our way into a room, kill all the Covenant, and then it goes into a cutscene of Chief turning off the bomb. And Cortana, you know, he asks, "How much time do we have left?" And Cortana says, "You don't want to know." Seven seconds, by the way, just so you know. I remember when Alex and I last week, we met up to do this playthrough. I kept throwing these facts in (laughs) there with Alex just trying to play the game. But yeah, so then we get one of the coolest cutscenes in Halo history. Master Chief asked uh, Lord Hood, like, hey, permission to leave the station. He says, for what purpose? He says, to give the Covenant back their bomb. So he just says, granted. And we see Chief drag the bomb to uh to a, to an airlock opens the airlock and then rides the bomb into a covenant ship in space start the bomb and then through an exploded UNSC yeah, carrier yeah. and then and then kicks off the bomb and explodes destroys this covenant carrier and he lands back on the ship hands down one of the coolest things ever i think every one of us who were 10 or 12 or 14 just Pooped when we saw that. Just laid a dookie right there (laughs) on the floor. But here's the thing, though. Originally, the bomb you delivered back to the Covenant was going to be strapped in a trailer that was attached to a warthog driven across the space station in an open zero-G environment. I don't know. That does sound pretty cool. That sounds cool, but also like almost like Mario Kart esque. It's like okay, we're pulling from Vice <laughs> throws City. A, throws a banana. <laughs> like, what can we get from Mario Kart at this point? Let's borrow some elements. No, yeah, and then uh, it was it was really cool to uh, like see like things how it was supposed to go. Um, and then in that room with the bomb, there is actually a marine hiding. If you kill everyone and you don't go over to that bomb, there's just a marine just chilling. Like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> but yeah, so then now we have the next mission, Outskirts, which is rally scattered Marines, clear hostile contacts from the old city. Now, uh, in the very beginning, Cortana says that the Covenant keeps seeing or saying regret, regret, regret. And then that's when Johnson says like that, like, dear alien bastards, we regret that, we, <laughs> you know, like that, that hilarious, hilarious, like uh, comedic relief. But, you know, then we find out it's like actually one of the prophets. And so as these these pelicans are making away in the city, this is where we see the scarab for the first time. And he shoots down two of the, the pelicans, mm-hmm. yours included. And like you kind of come to and you're crashed in the city. And it's like, well, now we have to make our way through the city. And that's how the, the mission starts, essentially. Yeah. And it starts with somehow most all the marines and johnson and you have survived as compared to combat evolved (laughs) when you guys go down everyone's dead yeah so you kind of come to wake up uh exploded kind of in a building there's rubble around Mm -hmm. and everyone's kind of getting up grabbing a gun johnson's rallying you and so the covenant's kind of taken over the city already so you make your way out you punch a grunt in the face pretty much uh, and make your route to this courtyard. And right around here and kind of where you came from is where you can find the blind skull. Yeah, so if you're a skull hunter, there's my walkthrough. Yeah, there's, there, <laughs> there's, there's your detailed walkthrough. walkthrough. It's there. And then uh, we. this is one of, like, uh, one of the first scenes where people really started paying attention to the campaign is whenever uh, you're in that giant courtyard area and you have to hold off waves of Covenant and you see the UNSC turret gun, mounted turret gun for the first time. And then that's when the... Uh, we see those the hunters for the first time in the campaign 
break mm-hmm. through. And of course, like if you're on any difficulty but legendary, you can just shoot at them until they die. Basically, that whole time you can just spend on that turret gun and yeah, be like a turret on the fine. corner on yeah. the second floor. Yeah, and then after that, you make your way to the beach, and after fighting off some covenant, we get a warthog, or I think you can get a ghost, but. You know, this is the first time we start seeing like some some really cool water features in the game and we're driving throughout the beach and we're starting to see these covenant turrets and all these places that they're set up and seeing their real presence on Earth finally. Yeah, seeing that as you go along kind of this dock area, I guess is the best way to kind of describe it you see that all these Covenant are starting to get these little encampments. Uh-huh. And this is also where we first see elite drop pods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think, and we before that, we run into the uh, the Jackal Snipers, correct? The legendary Jackal Snipers that basically, not me, but ruin your day. <laughs> <laughs> not me, I'm great. Yeah, you, you see them when you, I believe you might fight some in the courtyard if you don't mm-hmm. the first you see is once you go through the doors you kill the hunters in yeah uh, and round a corner you see like a little group of dead marines and then down the way is mm-hmm. like this little encampment of snipers yeah uh, and eventually this is there where now we we find ourselves in those tunnels and uh, I remember when we were doing this pl- this game through you were just like and I put this in the notes you're just like this is an hour of driving because mm-hmm. like you had to th- realize that de- the developers were trying to make this campaign as long as possible like let's just make this really long route with zero enemies well and typically we were we were kind of speed running this a bit just to go through and see the environment uh-huh. there are little skirmishes you can join with like uh-huh. kind of roadblocks but if you have a ghost you can just speed through everything mm-hmm. yeah and I like at this point this is where Cortana says in the comms like I don't think the Covenant realizes this is our home world like they mm-hmm. didn't even expect us to be here that's why the fleet was so small and then we make it out of the tunnels. And, you know, that's the end of the mission, which it's oddly enough goes, it should have been combined with the next one. But uh, I, I like that developers did base this level off of, of actual photographs of Mombasa. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. They were like, they weren't trying to make it look like overly futuristic. Like, how, how is this going to look in 500 years? Probably the same. Yeah. And, and it just took over some, like, the reality of, yeah, there's probably improved things. But most mm-hmm. places, things kind of stay the same. I mean, look at Europe. Yeah, most buildings are hundreds of years old. Mm -hmm. It's kind of all stayed there. Uh, One thing I just wanted to kind of bring up was this was kind of the first level for me that you could really experience game breaking Mm -hmm. and going out of level. So when you're in that courtyard area, this is the first kind of area for me as a child and kind of bringing it back that I remember Mm -hmm. you could do grenade jumps, which was basically uh, basically using uh, damage jumping or de jumping where you can throw a grenade, jump at the peak, and when you're at your peak, that grenade will go off and damage boost you. Yeah. And you can use that to get extra height, extra speed on certain areas. Uh, Same thing with rocket jumping and things like that. But you're able to get out of the map at certain areas and walk on the rooftops and kind of skip portions of the map. Yeah. That was one really cool thing as a kid, like I said, coming up from school, Let's play Halo. Let's play the campaign for the 400th time. Let's, oh, I can do let's that? Let's break the game. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so now we have the next mission, Metropolis, which is take the bridge, break the Covenant's grip on the city center. So this is where we see uh, this this scarab making its way down, and this Marine is trying to flee. But Johnson says no, and he drops off a, a uh, scorpion tank, first time we see it in the campaign. And depending on the difficulty that you play, he gives like four different speeches, mm. which I really like things like, 
little things that they did uh, with that. But so you get in the scorpion tank and you just make your way through this, again, very long bridge. This time there is a lot of opposition, though, so it makes it a little more entertaining. Uh, after we make it over the bridge, we make our way back down into uh, more tunnels, basically. And it, there's a lot more opposition in those tunnels, too, and even opportunities. You have to actually get off of your vehicle and make your way through some areas. Yeah. So as you're going across the bridge, this is also the first time we see Wraith tanks uh-huh. and Banshees. Yep. So the Covenant's kind of throwing everything they can at you going across this bridge, which is just mm-hmm. kind of a fun campaign thing. If you're in the Scorpion... You pretty much have to kill it. If you happen to just shoot out a ghost like I always do, you just ride the ghost all the way through and don't do anything. Uh, but yeah, you go back into the tunnels because you're now from the mission before where you had this like active cutscene where a warthog flies through a hole yeah. and gets, scor- it gets scarabed. You're now on top of that. Yeah. And you're driving on the highway that and you're you see, under. And you see that hole. Mm-hmm. I, I like your scarabed, by the way. You made that a verb. Yeah, I scarabed. Like yeah. Uh, and so, actually, when you make your way out of the, the tunnel in that courtyard area, you can find uh, the catch, catch skull. skull on top of that structure. There's yep. a detailed walkthrough. <laughs> so, Hashtag detailed walkthrough. So, as you exit, of course, you, you get the catch skull from our amazing walkthrough. <laughs> And uh, you now regroup with some Marines. So there's a Warthog out there, and there's soon to be more Warthogs if they make it through. And you make your way around this kind of L bend that's kind of a side street. Mm -hmm. And it opens up to a main courtyard with this walking bridge and various other elements with a couple of Jackal snipers on top of those and a couple Wraith tanks that are kind of... They're mm-hmm. impeding your path, and you have to kill them to get to where you have to go because there's Marines held up in a building at the end of this corridor. We get the uh, Goshawk, though, so that makes this kind yes. of a really fun actual battle and whatnot. And But, you know, by the end of that, you get in this building, and once you get to the second floor, we see the Scarab come in once again, take out uh, Scorpion, and just go on top of the it building. It climbs, like, right over where you yeah, are. Yeah, even though it's so weird to me that in the scene before, it walks through a building, and now it's walking... Over a building? I mean, come on, Bungie. We're gonna we're gonna point <laughs> stuff out like this. No, but really. And so you you make your way up in the building again, and this is when you you jump on top of the scarab, which is a fun, always a fun scene. And, it, and it's a fun realization because for first time players, they give you rockets and snipers and uh-huh. battle rifle and everything else. So you assume. I got to shoot it. I shoot everything else and it blows up. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of come to that realization that, oh, these bridges for me to jump on it and mm-hmm. realize that you can take this stuff down. Yeah, and you have to go and blow it up from the inside out. And now, once you kill everyone, it never actually shows you... Destroying uh, it for this. Yeah, and then we go into a cutscene where then Chief walks off of it like a badass, and then we see the Covenant trying to flee, and Amberclad then uh, follows them in, and then we see like the quote-unquote quote destruction of New Mombasa. Of course, Halo 3 ODST, we learn that's not the case. But it's really cool to see all that happening. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we had someone on our Discord like ask at least we touch on the scarab gun which i had it in the notes basically the scarab gun is located on top of the bridge that connects the two skyscrapers and it takes patience time and glitches to get it hashtag finish the fight walkthrough (laughs) and then yeah also an interesting thing about the inside of the scarab that that we discovered which is that uh if you shoot a sniper in there it just deflects so you'll see like seven or eight points that it yeah. goes off of. and it pretty much deflects till it strikes something. Like, it definitely has a vanishing point, but pretty much at that time, you've already hit an elite that's in there or uh-huh. some 
little grunt or whatever you got going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so now we move on to the next mission, which is the Arbiter. We see Brutes dragging Thel, and they never say his name in the game, oddly enough, but we see this character, this this uh, old, this stripped elite, and so they're dragging him, and we find him in the mausoleum of the Arbiters with the Prophets, which is cool. We're automatically starting to see a little more lore in the game, and it's always cool to see that stuff in the game versus mm-hmm. the books. And we find out that basically they're saying, like, listen, you're not really a heretic. You just kind of screwed up. Become the Arbiter and take out this heretic leader. So, of course, he dons the helmet and said, what would you have your Arbiter do? In the next scene, we meet Halfjaw for yeah. the first time, him and his men, and he's giving them that badass speech about the Covenant Oath, you know, fighting until their dying breath. And we see Halfjaw and the Arbiter kind of, at first, not like each other. You know, Halfjaw says, I only care about them. I don't care about you. And then mm-hmm. he says, oh, that makes two of us. And he kind of, it's like, you see that tension, but it's kind of like that respect of like, ooh, that was a good one. Yeah, and so this is where we start the mission for it. Like, officially, after the cutscenes are done, and we've taken our shriveled raisin and put some armor on them. Mm-hmm. And so you jump out, and you've taken control of the Arbiter for the first time. Yeah. So this is your first feel of the, basically what I want to call it, the orange world mm-hmm. that we are now in yeah. to find the heretic leader. Yeah. And you start off with this little company of grunts and elites, and you're making your way through. And this is also where, instead of just having a flashlight as your tool, you get active camo. Yeah, it, it's really cool to see. But of course, they even say like, oh, well, you have old armor, so it won't last as long as ours. And you're, <laughs> yeah. you're instantly like, fucking cool. Cool. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks for making this a game mechanic. I, I, <laughs> I do like, though, that you start off with a sword. Like, yep. the say, like you're like, whoa, whoa I, I get this. This is mine. Like, hell yeah. And so we make our way into this, this forerunner structure, and we start fighting the heretics, which I like is that they're different. Um, and they at least have, like, you're fighting grunts and elites, but they have completely different armor. But you did say that depending on, like, the difficulty, it's kind of hard because it's just bullets flying everywhere, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to shoot at whatever but yeah but at least with this they changed it enough that they almost have like insect like looking armor that's my best way to describe mm-hmm. it it's just like very robust and pointy and mm-hmm. it's, it's like yellow too and yeah. it's all the same color scheme but yeah so you you eventually start fighting i like that we see a, a seraph for the first time which we won't see again until halo reach but it was cool we see like just a seraph in this room and we're continually fighting these heretics we're going throughout the structure we're starting to see more taste of the forerunner stuff which is always cool to see and then uh, we start finally trying to chase down the heretic uh, leader, and that's where we kind of see a uh, we see a hologram at one point pop up, and you mm-hmm. think it's the actual guy. And so he's just saying, you know, okay, well, I'm not coming out, so peace, guys. And I like that. Eventually, we have to get into this uh, this banshee in order to chase him. And of course, even the banshees themselves are like, quote heretic banshees which i like those designs and you do this very long like not kind of space battle and i even put in the notes this is where we hear that uh that goofy incubus song Uh, (laughs) top quality uh yeah and and so so you kind of take over this fight and you are chasing them down and you're basically following the drop ship that you had you're kind of protecting it and going around now the one big thing to note is that at the bottom of the structure where you get your heretic banshee is where you find the grunt birthday party skull. Yeah, such a that 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 sound in the confetti. Yay! Yay! 
Like such that that is probably the best thing to come from Halo Two. Yeah, it's probably if, the, if it's, anything, it's probably the only good thing to come from Halo. Period. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's that, that's our hashtag finish fight walkthrough. Yeah. And uh, so so you fly around, and it's basic. It's a basic escort mission. You mm-hmm. you fly around. You shoot some banshees. You shoot some grunts mm-hmm. with uh, some fuel rod cannons that are on little platforms until you make your way to another very similar looking door. Yeah. Wash, runs, repeat. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you fi- you you find a heretic leader, but he shields himself behind a door, and he's like this storm because there's a storm going on. He's like this storm's gonna kill you. I'm gonna be fine. And kind of the mission ends there. Uh, something I want to say, like two little talking points about this mission is originally this whole thing was supposed to take place on a moon. And all these heretics were supposed to be hunters, including their leader. Oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, there's one other fact with this, too, that I, I really liked when I was looking it up. Uh, so the entire environment for it, mm-hmm. basically what they did was they took a bunch of bags of Cheetos and mashed up the Cheetos and just threw dust. Because <laughs> that's what the entire environment looks like. I, I will say in the anniversary edition, it does get a lot more vibrant. But yeah, it's a very odd putting color. It's, 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 it seems like they tried to have a mining facility at like Jupiter. Something like that, yeah. yeah. But, you know, so the next mission, the Oracle. Kill the heretic leader, the prophets will be done. And so I like that essentially... Um, they make their way into this structure, and Halfjaw kind of notes, like, I smell something that I recognize, which will be will get kind of touched on in our next episode, the graphic novel. But uh, the second we make our way in, it's just, like, very blatant that it's like, oh, shit, we're about to deal with Flood. Because you see little tadpoles in this thing, you see mm-hmm. some green muck or whatever on the wall. So instantly we make our way through the structure, and... We see like someone fighting in the glass underneath us and we make our way into a room and uh, the heretic leader pops up in a hologram and he's like flattered that the prophet sent an arbiter to kill him. And then next thing you know, and then the flood come in and it's the first time we see him in Halo 2. Yeah. So so obviously with that familiar smell and the flood happening, it's a whole nother deal to deal with with the flood again. Yeah. And this time again, it's not as eerie because we've seen them before. It's still cool, but it's like almost like, why are, why are they back now? Yeah, it definitely it definitely draws your attention to it because mm-hmm. for some, I know for some, when we're reading the original things, it's just kind of like this was a reskinned CE. Yeah. And you can kind of see in like different parts of this for it. The, those parallels and whatnot. Yeah. So so once that hologram disappears mm-hmm. from when him saying that stuff, the, the flood come out and attack. Yeah. Now in this same room, you can find the famine skull. Yep. And so basically what you have to do is grenade jump on top of a platform and then jump onto another platform and then you get the skull. Hashtag finish the fight walkthrough. If you guys just follow that detail, <laughs> you will get the famine skull. It's pretty damn detailed. But yeah. yeah, of course, you have to defeat them and you get on an elevator. And this is such a long scene. Like, I, and I will say this, and Alex and I both kind of agreed. For the most part, the Arbiter levels weren't that fun. They were very slow and repetitive. And I know this probably boiled down to a lot of development cycle. Mm-hmm. And so in Halo 2, there's a lot of rail missions. With the, the Arbiter specifically. Yeah, and you're basically riding either gondolas or Forerunner elevators or whatever it is uh-huh. to kill time in an essence, but also to like bring longevity to the mm-hmm. level. Because yeah. on that one, you're riding this Forerunner elevator gondola mm-hmm. with your elite brothers with some swords and some plasma weapons, and you see the Flood is standing on some platforms above you. They jump down. Yeah. They come through a bottom port, 
And it's wave defense, I guess you would say, until you make your way to a docking station. Wash, rinse, repeat. But long story short, then you you find yourself in this room and you go to chase down the uh, the heretic and he hides from you. Mm-hmm. And so you say, okay, I'm going to cut the wires to this station. He says, everyone get out. I'm going to cut the wires to the station and, and make sure the covenant or the, the heretic leader gets out. That's so basically what you do. You find your way up this station, you take a sword, and you just... Yeah, because he locks himself away again, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and so he's like, well, he's not going to stay on here. So you fight your way through heretics along with sentinels, along with flood, and you cut these wires, and of course the guy now has to escape. So, and this was so weird. You get in a banshee just to go literally like... 50 feet mm-hmm. and then you get in a room and that's where a cutscene comes in and you know the heretic leader we finally meet up with the heretic leader face to face no walls or doors in between us and he says you know i'd rather die by your hands than whatever the prophets would have me do and you know it, the arbiter's kind of curious about who's telling him like all these quote-unquote lies and then we see 343 guilty spark make a return mm-hmm. and you're instantly like huh, where'd this guy come from? But before we can get any more exposition, the heretic leader attacks the Arbiter. He sends out these two holograms of himself, but then you take those two out and then you kill him. Yeah, so so this is technically our first boss battle. Yeah, yeah, it is. We had three, actually, but I said two earlier, but yeah, we had three. And it was it was kind of it was different for the series. Um, but then, yeah, once you kill him, it goes back to a cutscene, and you see three four three guilty spark is like disappointed, and he's like, eh, "That guy was fun. He had questions." And yeah. Then Tartarus comes in and uses his hammer, the fist of Rucked, to suck in like through electricity, sucks in. <laughs> It sucks in 343, Guilty Spark, and you see how the Arbiter is kind of, like, shocked that he's treating him like this, and Tartarus literally just doesn't care, just, like, throws him up to the Phantom, and then it's like, all right, let's get out of here. Yeah. And that's the end of that level, which we'll have a handful more of Arbiter levels before it's all said and done, but yeah, that one was definitely um, a different pace for the Halo franchise thus far. Um, as I said, like when it came down to Arbiter missions, they weren't that fun. But no, we'll talk more about it. it. I would say that is probably my least favorite. One, the environment was so drab. And mm-hmm. I think it's for me, like I love color and stuff. So like any of the missions that are like on vibrant green parts of Earth or on yeah. as we get to it are just really interesting. Mm-hmm. And with that being like a weird factory setting of just oranges yeah. and browns, I was like, eh. yeah. So yeah, now we move on to Delta Halo. A Covenant army stands between you and regret. Get to work. So it starts that, you know, they come out of, the UNSC come out of slip space and we see another Halo ring, which surprises, you know, we're, we didn't know that there was more than one. So after a little bit of exposition, we see, and I love this, Master Chief drop down with ODST onto the ring. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's so cool. Like he, you know, there's that tension between them, but it's like, hey, at the end of the day, we have a job to do. So we get down and we land on the beach and then we start to fight off more Covenant. So Surprise, surprise. Yep. But eventually you do, after you kill all them, a pelican drops down and you get a warthog. Yeah, and so going back just a little bit, this is also where you're going to see the rocket launcher for the first time. Oh, yeah, it is. So you drop in with your rocket launcher because you're trying to, it's, basically this is the smallest version of the D-Day invasion for Halo. Yeah. Because you're at the bottom and you're making your way up, and we. this is where we also see the new and improved Covenant turrets that have mounted shields, you yeah. sit on them, 
and you can actually lock on to them. So it's the first part where you see the lock on. Yeah, definitely like be able to like showcase that feature. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so then you finish the wave defense, you get that warthog drop, and you start to make your way through the valley. Yeah, and you kind of make your way eventually to a uh, this kind of structure that has a bridge on it. Like you pull up right as you see the bridge coming up. So then you have to take you have to take everyone out and the bridge has to come back down. But then at that point, we get a scorpion like the UNSC came prepared this time. They're like, no, no, no. You have a scorpion now. So then we get on that. And this is one of those things where it's like a very long environment of just making your way through these. And I like that it's these ancient forerunner structures. I think that's really cool. So I love this portion of it because you get that scorpion, you destroy that wraith that's across and you just go on this murderous killing spree through these different halo structures that are mm-hmm. kind of temple-like and that's kind yeah. of what brings it back to that mind aztec-iness of mm-hmm. it yeah it's a different take than what we see in combat of all exactly so they take it a little differently it's a different halo so they mm-hmm. might have had a different aesthetic at that point yeah and you different make it, designer you know yeah, different, different era <laughs> different era of design you know what it is <laughs> their expressionism <laughs> and uh so you make your way through you do all these little firefights and then you eventually have to go on foot and leave your scorpion behind. But once you do this, if you kill all the enemies in the area, there'll be a little marine drop. They'll come in and you make your way into this main structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that's where you see, you see these honor guards for the first time and you have to kill them. And once you do that, it goes to cutscene. Uh, well, that's actually technically the end of the mission, which uh, something about this mission that that surprised me is that Bungie was skeptical about putting ODST in this mission because they're like, they're not going to know who these guys are. But I think like f- fans are very hilarious. I was like, oh, oh, those are ODST. That's cool. That's awesome. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a whole different armor structure, a whole different like feel mm-hmm. to it. And like and and dropping as well. And, and actual like, getting the orbital drop. Yeah. Uh, so the next one. So is... going back just a little bit oh, yeah? uh, for our hashtag uh, finish the fight. Walkers, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so whenever you're driving that scorpion through the structure, there's a portion where you come apart of some really cool Aztec parts of it. Mm-hmm. They're cooler re- than the usual. They're cooler than the usual. So you jump out to really take a peek at it. You're like, uh-huh. this is really nice. I like this aesthetic they're going on. And you go, oh, what's that up there? <laughs> is that is that the Envy Skull? <laughs> I, I think just, this I, is where you like there's some like invisible elites here, correct? Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, you you get it there. Hashtag detailed yeah. walkthrough. Yeah, you basically do a grenade jump up, and it is there. Hashtag walkthrough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so then the next scene we see that there's this hologram of regret, and Cortana explains like he's get he's one to light this ring. Like we have to go kill him. So then after that, uh, Covenant make their way in, and then we have to fight them off. And this is uh this is like one of the first times. As we make our way out, we have to get on those uh, those gondolas, correct? Or no, we we almost go that's, like backwards. So on... that, that, it's a little farther in. Yeah. So to start it off, you start with two Marines mm-hmm. who were supposed to be from that dropship from the mission mm-hmm. before because this is quote unquote a new mission. When it's the same mission. Yeah. So you have some buggers drop in, you murder them. And if you're quick enough, you can actually skip those and go yeah. outside and watch an elite spawn in and just kill them as he spawns. <laughs> so I do that every time. So hashtag walkthrough. So whenever you walk out, you kill your spawning uh, elite friend, there's that broken bridge for uh-huh. the platform. And you can grenade jump your way over there, grenade jump on top. And then if you go to the right of it, mm-hmm. where there was a sniper jackal, you can go into this room as pitch black. If you go... There's another door in there you can't go to, but if you go on the side of it, on the right side, mm-hmm. you look up in the corner and you shine your light and it says, hi, Ben. 
Ah, and Breaking it's a Benjamin. Yeah, it's a little nod from the developers, like thanking them for being on the, the track yeah, for it and, and for helping out. And we'll talk about their involvement, which was pretty cool uh, once we get to the music section. But yeah. yeah, this is where you kind of start. Like this mission is almost like two things you do in a row. It's a little lengthier, but you make your way out, fight your way, meet up with more Marines or like those quote unquote same Marines. Uh, and then you find yourself on the the gondola now, yes. which is a very, again, long, slow thing. And you just ride across to another structure. Yeah, because one thing they really pushed in this game was wave enemies. Uh-huh. So right before the gondola, you fight off a couple elites with carbines and a couple jackals with sniper rifles. Mm-hmm. And then the Covenant drops some hunters right in your position. So while you're fending that off... Uh, Pelican drops off, and this is the first time I think we see uh, weapon drop offs. Mm-hmm. There are no, we said we saw them a little earlier in the previous mission, but this is the first time oh, I, yeah, in yeah. general that we're starting to really see that. Yeah, so really they actually cool. drop them off for you, and then you'll have it later on the other gondola. This is a double gondola action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then you go on this gondola, you go into this structure, make your way through, and this is the first time we see like that underwater elevator kind yeah. of thing. And then again, it's like you you do this all over again, essentially, because then you you get out and you f- you get back on a gun or you you find yourself in another water elevator. You get back out again, ride on another gondola, and then that's when you make your way inside the structure to fight regret Mm -hmm. and this is our second boss battle this one's way easier you just hop on top of them and punch them in the face like three times and then everyone gets pissed yeah it it is tough if you're not jesse and you actually play on a decent difficulty um (laughs) because this is where we see like the elite honor guards so there's still elite honor guards at this point and most if not all of them have swords Mm -hmm. and at normal and above it's a one-hit kill and well and they're also they're also a little beefier just in health wise and things like that. Plus they have grunts and jackals there to help them with that. Yeah. So yes, the boss fight in of itself is kind of jokey. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a take your frustration out. It's kind of like having a stress ball. Yeah, essentially. But yeah, he goes down pretty easily and then you make your way out of the structure and we see the largest covenant armada that anyone has ever seen approach Mm -hmm. and they start attacking the base you're on and you jump off into the water and then this is where all of a sudden you start sinking and we see these tentacles come up and they grab master chief and they say that line this is not your grave but you are welcome in it and they drag him down and instantly you're just like what 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 was that what just happened so i really loved that that creepy thing that went on mm-hmm. now this mission mirrors what the silent cartographer was originally supposed to be it was supposed to be you you drop on the shipping you go and you kill a prophet but due to time crunches they could never do that so we got something that was told in this game that that they wanted to tell in ce mm-hmm. so now let's move on to the sacred icon our technically third mission with the arbiter and uh, now we find out that, you know, a prophet has just died. And so the brutes are taking over as the honor guards. And we see Halfjaw telling the prophets, like, this isn't okay. And we learn that the, the elites are potentially going to leave the high council. And so then they say, the prophets to the arbiter say, okay, listen, we need to get the sacred icon so we can activate this ring and we can all off ourselves. And so mm-hmm. that's when the arbiter also learns that the master chief is on the ring and he kind of wants a little payback, but he says, you know, eh, getting, getting this sacred icon is my only concern. Yeah. But then at that point, uh, he gets dropped off and we see that enforcer sentinel for the yeah, first time. Yeah, this is a new enemy that we're seeing, which 
is just a. I like the design of it. I thought it was. I, very I liked cool. it a lot too. It, with those two shields in the two front, shields those up two front, arms, two grabby arms for vehicles, shoots yeah. out missiles and yeah. stuff. But he goes to attack the arbiter, but then Tartarus fends him off. You know, and says like, "Go get the icon. We'll mm-hmm. worry about this." And again, you want to talk about a really wash, rinse, repeat level. This is a very again long drawn out level of just going down these like pistons I, and whatnot. I mean, this is basically what Chief didn't see. Yeah, this it, is it, this is assault al- on the control room. Assault and control room. It's almost identical. Yeah, and it's just going through, and there's not a lot of stuff that's really different. Like for this section in the notes, it's mainly describing the the cool cutscenes. It's not even so much the gameplay, but you do eventually find yourself taking on a enforcer sentinel head on, and that's always like a fun. I guess it's also kind of a boss battle. And there's a lot more boss battle. Like, kind of, not really. Kind of. You don't have to fight it though. You don't. Nope. Can you just run past it? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, you know what? I definitely, like, in, in a casual playthrough... You just run past it? No, I play it. But, like, when I was speedrunning the other day to go through, I was like, do I actually have to sit here and fight this? And I just turned around, and I go, oh, I should go through that thing. And you just went through the I thing? I went through the thing. <laughs> and, uh, so, so, yeah, but this it's really cool, because this is the first time that, like... And you're given the firepower to it, because I believe with the flood being there, you find, like, fallen rocket launchers uh-huh. and other heavy weaponry to fight it, uh, which makes it really cool, but... If you do or don't fight it, you then do the same thing you've been doing. You find one of the little shafts you have to like either shoot or just hold the reload button on to activate, yeah. and you just jump in. Yeah, uh, it's pretty straightforward. At, at this point, we're starting to actually now make our way into more flood-infected areas as well. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see, even before we saw that Enforcer, it's like, okay, the flood are kind of really outbreaking on this ring not a good sign because we're dealing with this once again. Uh, but then in, in one of the rooms, and I can't, uh, by all means, I can't remember which room. There, in one of the rooms, you'll find the mythic skull. <laughs> okay. uh, Detailed walkthrough, people. Hashtag, Detailed walkthrough. Hashtag finish the fight walkthrough. It's 2019. You have YouTube. You spend more time on YouTube than <laughs> you do anything else. I know I do. So I may or may not have used YouTube as a source for this. A very old video, mind you. <laughs> But yeah, and then I like you also start hearing UNSC comms of soldiers fighting the flood. This whole level, you're making your way to the bottom of this structure, and you start to see the full force of the battle between the flood and the sentinels as you make your way outside. And finally, you fight your way through more flood and hold an LZ with a group of elites, and that's the end of the mission. Now... Again, this should just be merged with the next mission, but it's quote-unquote two different missions. I don't know why. As we said, this mission really holds some similarities with Assault on the Control Room, and this is only one of two missions where you see blue sentinel beams. But let's move on to the quarantine zone. Parasites, humans, no matter what, the icon must be found. So I like that again. We meet up with Half John. He gives some kind of badass speech because I think he's a cool warrior, but I think they're like, we need a character that just gives you badass speeches, and that's Half Jaw. So as we get these reinforcements in, and he gives this really cool speech, and it's like we said, with a lot of these missions, it's basically the halfway point of what would be a regular mission. Yeah. But it's the second part of it. You're lying to us, Bungie. Lying to us. So. You hop on to a specter and you fight your way through the flood. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the really cool aspects I did like about this was you're going through. It reminds me of kind of some of the final, le- like the final level in CE when you're just driving through. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of that because you have all this hectic chaos of these different flood 
fighting sentinels and going through, and you're seeing that the Flood are actually piloting Covenant and human UNSC vehicles. Yeah, it's really crazy because it's like, you know, we kind of know that when the Flood infect anything, they they get their memories and how to fire their Mm -hmm. weapons or pilot their vehicles. So this is really mainly a kind of like vehicle heavy mission for the most part. Uh, We even see that these Enforcer Sentinels can actually pick up your vehicle and destroy it. And it kills you instantly. Fun fact. Yeah. Like what you didn't know. Yeah. And and I think one of the things I really love is really pay attention to the flood driving the ghosts because they're basically just like standing. They're like, it's like they're trying to drive like a Mini Cooper, but they're too big. (laughs) So they're like standing on the outside of it holding it. Incredible. And it's, and it, it makes sense because mm-hmm. if you saw a player model of a flood just sitting like a regular like person with like hands at ten and two piloting mm-hmm. this ghost, it looked goofy. So like having them like menacingly like standing yeah, over it, made riding it like a scooter, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, detailed walkthrough. And one of these very open flood infected areas, you'll find the Sputnik skull on a ledge. Fun fact. Oh 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 oh! It's that one ledge. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that one ledge. Yeah, yep. you know it. That you, you, one. If you're a fan, you know which ledge. You know we're that talking ledge. About. It's that Google ledge. It's yeah. that Google ledge. <laughs> but then we meet back up with Halfjaw, and we see humans start making their way towards the icon. So Halfjaw says, "You know, I'm gonna stay behind. Go get it." So mm-hmm. we have to ride, uh, like one of those platforms or gondolas. Again, very long waiting. It's basically, thing. the same kind of thing we just rode last time. Yeah, fighting off flood. Yeah, and so eventually you make your way uh, into the structure and. And you're you ride with fellow elites, then you kind of like similar to the library in Halo Combat mm-hmm. Evolved the structure because it is a, a library. So then we cut to a cutscene of Miranda going and retrieving the icon herself, and then her and Johnson come for the other Marines, and then no one's there. So then you see the Arbiter come take out Johnson right before you know he slams him, and Johnson says, "How you doing?" Because mm-hmm. it's Johnson. <laughs> And then he, he, right as he goes to take out Miranda, you then see Tartarus kind of zap her and grab her and grab the index. And so Arbor is kind of confused. He's like, oh, the index is in my control. And he says, nope, not anymore. We're taking over. And then basically says, uh, we're going to wipe all the elites out now. And the Arbiter thinks that this is some kind of betrayal. And he's like, oh, the prophets are going to have your head for this. And he's like. They ordered me to do it and then shoots him down a hole. Mm-hmm. And right then, that's the twist that I think where it's like, oh, yeah. shit. Like, I thought that was pretty crazy. Now, something cool about this mission is that uh, originally Sentinels were supposed to be equipped with needlers and like kind of other various weapons. All of them were taken out of the campaign, but one. I couldn't find where the location of this supposed oh. needler Sentinel is, but there's one out there. Maybe that's a lie just to screw with people and have them look for it. But then distance-wise, this is the longest level in the original trilogy because, you know, you're riding all these vehicles and these these platforms. And then, uh, as I said before, this is the only mission where we're seeing flood-driving uh, player-drivable vehicles awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> which which I, I really enjoyed. I'm glad they put it in and really pushed, kept pushing the lore of it. Yeah. That, like you said, like they, they actually inherited the mind of their host and could realize what they had to do. Yeah. And so now we go to the next mission, which is Gravemind. The prophets have the index and plan to use it. 
over your dead body. And this is the first time we see the grave mind. And he has chief and arbiter. And he shows to both of them because he has Penitent Tangent, who is the monitor of that installation, along with the prophet of regret that just got killed. And he's trying to explain to the arbiter, like, listen, your religion is absolute bullshit. He's Mm -hmm. like, we need to stop this. So he randomly transports them to two different locations. Basically, it's like uh, sending them to opposite locations where they exactly have to be. Yeah, essentially, because he's like, you're going to search for this place, you're going to search for this place. So he sends off Master Chief to kind of slow down the prophets, because what happens is Master Chief lands in that room that we see at the very beginning of the mission, Mm -hmm. because truth is like i have the index now like you see like a grunt's like filming him and the chief just appears (laughs) in the middle of it and looks at the grunt and just goes boo i love that comedy because then like the grunt just throws up a needler and then that's when we see the brutes for the first time we have to fight them and we see the berserker mode for the first time which is always fun Mm -hmm. especially on normal they're pretty difficult (laughs) on normal yeah and and you see that the brutes are now wearing every all the underguard stuff so you see it's fully confirmed that the Brutes have now taken over all of these aspects mm-hmm. of it, and we're seeing it in gameplay, not just in cutscene. Yeah, and so once you defeat everyone there, Cortana is now kind of in the Covenant system, mm-hmm. and she's guiding you throughout this mission. And I love seeing, now we're truly seeing like all this amazing Covenant architecture and whatnot. I think it was really, really cool. I thought it was beautiful, like for because basically it's high charity, so they, mm-hmm. they brought them yeah, there. Yeah, we're, we're in high charity now. Yeah, so we're in high charity, and they've, they've brought them into some like the most beautiful aspects of it and you're seeing these pretty crazy grav lifts and what they can do with them yeah it was always cool to see like what new kind of technology they implemented but it was just a lot of fighting your way through you go through a lot of courtyard so far a detailed walkthrough uh you will find the angry skull in one of the courtyards on a structure above it just so you know we were asked about this okay we were asked to talk about this we we may or may not do this in our halo 3 episode who knows we're testing the waters here folks but i i definitely loved this mission because again it was like a lot of seeing how the covenant live and seeing like this this these beautiful areas that like you have the inside corridors these grav lifts these these outside courtyard areas yeah and we're starting to see as well like uh we start fighting elites but then we start noticing elites fighting brutes and you're noticing you're either running through battles or kind of like stepping back and like just letting them do their thing yeah and to roll it back just a little bit i want to talk about how much i really like what bungie did with the architecture and structure of the building because at one portion when we're using several of the gravelists but one of the gravelists brings us to a holding cell prison i guess is the best way to kind of describe it uh-huh. and it gives you various levels and so cortana realizes there's marines on board and we make our way over to these prison cells, go in, kill the enemies inside, and they come out and grab weapons and kind of help as they do. Yeah, it's kind of like Truth and Reconciliation, which I kind of have in like the trivia section of our notes. But it, yeah, it's it's basically like almost like that, like a wash, rinse, repeat of that mission. But I something I love and one of the cooler parts is you find yourself eventually having to make your way through the mausoleum yeah. of the Arbiter. So I like that they're visiting these scenes that were in the cutscenes. And of course, this is where I put in the notes 
cue Breaking Benjamin because we hear because <laughs> we hear Blow Me Away, which they wrote just for this, which we'll talk about. But that that part's really really cool because then we have to fight elites and brutes along with there's hunters in there, and uh, that version of the song that's playing won't stop until you kill everyone. Uh, so after you get through there, which is actually kind of a really fun part and seeing this whole area, you kill them and you make your way through, and that's the end of that mission. And this is I think is the first time where we actually start seeing like levels not split up too much. Now it's like we're just bouncing back between Chief and yeah and Arbiter. And I think that kind of boiled down to they wanted levels to probably be this long. Uh-huh. Because you could probably bounce back and forth and split the mm-hmm. levels up. Yeah. But since we couldn't do it, yeah, we had to get kind of the backstory of both of them. Mm-hmm. Kind of made it a little difficult. Yeah. So yeah, the ending cutscene is then we see Tartarus and some brutes walking out the prophets, and we start seeing flood infector pods make their way towards them. Mm-hmm. And one gets on Mercy, and and uh, Tartarus tries to save him, but Truth says, you know, nope. The 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 great journey waits for no one, brother. And they make their way off, and that's the ending of the mission, which I think is like just so like you asshole. But I mean, it is like a politics game, and you know that's yeah. And you realize like that was probably better for him that he died. There are theories out there that he planned it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, by all means, like whatever happens is he is now in complete control. No, he has to answer to no one. Everyone answers to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so a little bit of trivia is like the grave mind, the original sketches for him were supposed to have skulls as teeth. That's a little more common one, but I think that's still very eerie. Yeah. And it makes sense if you want it to be this like amalgamation mm-hmm. of like all these beings that kind of come together. It's kind of neat. But I'm kind of glad they didn't do it, too, because it, it would have been kind of tropey. Yeah. Another thing is that he speaks a certain way, which is a combination of iambic heptameter and trochaic heptameter, two forms of poetry uh, where it's like it goes off by sy- syllables. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting. Did a little bit of research into that. And I definitely even did would like say some of his lines and like count the syllables just to like make sure. Yeah. So it was really cool. Also in the very beginning of this mission where we see right before uh, it's on the outside where they're filming truth on legendary difficulty. Whenever you see one of the grunts climbing a tower, you'll start to see this image fade in and it's Jason Jones in a towel. <laughs> fun fact, little things that Bungie just did because they're like, let's have fun. So I, I love little things like that. Yeah, and so once we watch that little bit of a trail and move on from Chief's mission, we're now over to the Arbiter game on yep. Uprising. Yep. This is certain. The brutes shall pay for the blood they have spilled. And so the Arbiter appears outside of a forerunner structure, and he picks up a plasma rifle. He just picks up what's available to him. And he starts making his way through this mission and seeing these dead elites and kind of starts talking to himself, you know, about how these brutes will pay for what they've done Mm -hmm. and witnesses all this. And so this is where you can then pick up a sword to pick up more weapons and you've got to fight. I think it's one, two, three, six or seven brutes you got to fight through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely like you have to slaughter them and then then, uh, an elite makes his way out and we see like their reactions of like they're gonna pay for what they've done because basically this mission has no objectives this Mm -mm. is literally a revenge mission this is like fuck this let's go like and that's what i love is this is purely just a hate anger malice driven mission especially for these this this species that's so honor driven like it's just so cool but this one's pretty straightforward mission 
uh eventually we're we just uh fight off more and more brutes like there this is also a very vehicle driven uh mission which i like and this one isn't necessarily shorter but this mission is very kind of just cut and dry uh i know at one point you do make your way inside of an armory and that's where you find the ghost skull very detailed walkthrough, by the yeah, way. Yeah, actually, that's that's the same portion, I believe, where you start to discover that the brutes, I guess, kind of lay out a bunch of different weapons that they found. And I assume it's kind of like fallen trophies. Yeah, or just like they're collecting what they can get, you know? Yeah, I assume because you find rocket launcher, shotgun, you find some covenant weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's in, like, you get quipped up because then you yeah. basically walk back out and it brings up a little thing about an arena. And it's like a little arena pit. Yeah, And you go back out and you have the option here of either fighting the wraith that's down there or with the Alex speed strat, you just walk the other way and you don't yeah, fight it. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. But and it, it's just to the point to where you you have to fight off some brute piloted wraiths and ghosts and uh, you make your way outside of the structure. And that's when you see this uh, wraith start approaching you. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, you see it's it's half jaw. And you guys realize you see Tartarus start escorting Miranda into the control room. And he kind of like does this like sniff and like growl because it's like he smells something familiar and they realize they need to get in there mm-hmm. and so something i like about this is that well i actually more like dislike is that there were supposed to be cutscenes. I'm, I'm upset they cut this but there's supposed to be cutscenes of brutes lining up elites and just shooting them dead like something to really show like everything that's going on within the great schism but probably due to time constraints they were cut yeah time constraints and to me that's not really halo like yeah. like i know the brutality of it get it would be uh very good to see and like mm-hmm. very story driven, but I think with a lot of graphic violence like that, I just don't think that's Halo's way with it. Yeah, true. Especially it's like not that violent. But yeah, now we move on to the final mission that we play as the Master Chief. High Charity Cortana can handle the index. Stopping Truth is up to you. So it picks up where we left off with we see Truth uh, riding off in a Phantom, mm-hmm. and we see Mercy, the Prophet of Mercy, struggling with that uh, that uh, Infector pod. And so Chief takes it off of him, and he dies. And then we learn, okay, we need to stop Truth no matter what. And then at this point, we see a Pelican drive, drop in. Yeah, it's a Pelican. Yeah, it's Pelican. Infected with a bunch of flood. Mm-hmm. But right before that, I, uh, Cortana says, listen, if he tries to light the ring, we'll just detonate in Amberclad's engines like we did in CE because yeah. it's like a lot of those parallels. But this is now where we have to start fighting off the flood. I think it's the first time as Master Chief. It's first time as Chief because this is where... First and only time as Chief. Thank God. <laughs> I know a lot of people do like the flood. I know it's a different thing. I, to me, it's just kind of tedium. But yeah, so you start off, you start off, I think, with a carbine and a plasma weapon, mm-hmm. and you start to make your way up, and you see that the brutes are, are fighting the flood outside as well. Yeah. So you're, you're, this gets back to kind of what I didn't really like too much about CE was the repetition of missions, because mm-hmm. you're basically going right back in. Yeah, and I, of course, it's to save time and whatnot, but... It, it is what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've, it's we start making our way back in, and I really like that we start seeing how the flood are taking over, and we're starting to hear the prophet of truth talking over the comms, and it's like almost like creepy, and I really do like that feeling yeah. they give you. And we're starting to fight off more uh, flood, and we're, I think even rarely you'll see 
flood with uh, overshields, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, but this mission is, again, it's like one of those that's most of our notes were just describing like literally the cutscene because it's it's just walking right back through right where you came. And with, uh, with some deviations. And this mm-hmm. is what I want to bring up. And what I really liked about the cinematics of this is if you remember, there's one room you go through and that's when you first start really hearing the prophet kind of reiterate to the covenant that's there. It's like, this is your mission. Like, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it, you can kind of go into this, like, weird circle bridge. It's hard to describe. There's, like, a cliffside that you kind of go up in yeah. there. And there's brutes and, and um, jackals and a couple of grunts up there. Mm-hmm. And the floods start to push in through another door that you have to go through. Well, you make your way through that. And you make your way to an identical room that is now flood controlled. So I thought, yeah. like, the really cool, like, parallels mm-hmm. of, like, yeah. jumping into scene is really beautiful to see. Yeah. You can also hear the grave mind talking eventually, too. It's, like, just, it's such a, it's one of the more scarier environments. And I think it's, like, subtle, you know? Yeah. And it's that thing of, like, the prophet held all of this. And then grave mind basically tells him, like, oh, you're going to die swift, like, because we're going to take over and yeah. like, we're going to be here forever. Yeah. And so there's that one point you do make your way up a very long uh, gravity lift. Mm-hmm. Just hold X and you'll get the you'll get the skull. Yeah, that's actually probably our most accurate. So skull yeah, thing. so uh, hold hold X on the tram with Johnson and hold X in the gravity lift, and you have two skulls. Exactly. This point, like we're around the end of the mission, and Cortana's like, "Hey, listen, I need to stay behind. You need to go on this like kind of like grav lift area." I need to stay here, which is the first time. And if you know in the lore that we've talked about how important it is for that to never happen. And she says, leave me behind and go. And the reason why she's staying behind is she has to delay Truth's ship from getting away. And the only way to do that is for her to stay and kind of Mm -hmm. mess around with the AI for Chief to get onto that ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he he gets on this kind of teleport thing and goes to the very end and he says, you know, listen, I'm going to come back. And she just says, like, she basically is like, I'm dying here. Like, this is my end. Yeah. Because she says, don't make a girl promise, you know, you can't keep. And this is the last that we would kind of see of Chief. And so something I want to bring up and we'll talk about a little bit is at the very beginning of this mission, we were supposed to fight creatures called the Flood Juggernauts, which we'll talk about a little bit more. They were cut last minute, but you can still find them in the the, the files of Halo 2 somewhere. And then now we're on the final mission of the game, The Great Journey. Form an unexpected alliance. Keep Tartarus from activating the ring. So now it goes back to Half John Arbiter, and they devise a plan to get into the control room and stop Tartarus. So it's really cool. Again, this is a little bit of a shorter mission, but it's first half of it is you're driving around in vehicles, fighting mm-hmm. off more brutes. And I know eventually uh, we make our way inside of the structure, but outside of it, we just see a scarab chilling, like an abandoned yeah. scarab. So you see an abandoned scarab because we made our way. Once again, with their level repetition, we've made mm-hmm. our way from kind of this beachfront. We've driven through. We've destroyed some Covenant. We park here. You destroy a couple of wraiths outside with some brutes, mm. and you make your way in and through the structure. Yeah, and then this is cool because we team up with hunters. They're mm-hmm. just waiting for you. You see another lead pop up like, nah, man, we're all going in together. So you go into this room where like a bunch of hunters and uh, these uh, council members are behind like a, in a jail mm-hmm. and you can just release them all. You like shoot like the shield and release them all and it's just badass to see all of them just take brutes out because it's just like, again, you're now on this different side and it's just you're, you're getting to fight along hunters which, hell yeah, that's one of the coolest things ever. It's it's really cool. And it's like it's kind of what like 
Halo, it, it gives you the the feeling of like the Halo Overture stuff. Like mm-hmm. it's like sweet. I've got like these unstoppable tanks on my team because we first go through this kind of interior like cavern area uh-huh. and that's when we first get our elite friend and our hunters kind of trim through yeah. that and then once we separate from them that's when you can kind of sneak in bop the jackal shoot those cells open and mm-hmm. just watch the chaos and just yeah and then so after you fight through more brutes you make your way outside and you save johnson from getting killed yeah because there's a bunch of brutes that mm-hmm. are like bullying these humans out mm-hmm. there and that sneaky bastard gets in the scare before you can but that's when we see now the alliance between this split off covenant faction and humanity johnson says listen we don't like each other but we have to stop him from lighting the rings and mm. so he says you know i have a key to get in and it's the scarab so you fight alongside the johnson controlled scarab till you get to that uh control room and that's when johnson blows down the door and you make your way inside but right before you make your way inside i think it's if you go to the right on top of the structure you'll find another skull yes yeah, so you have to go like pass it a little bit up top uh-huh. on one of the little uh sitting what do you call them like little sitting area things sure a sitting area thing why not but yeah then you find a skull there and then you make your way inside i think there's one wave of brutes you have to fight but there's like a lot of them so it's not fun yeah because you you have the option of either taking them head on or there's a little like opening to go into the floor and like get them one by one mm-hmm. which works really well And then we make our way in and confront Tartarus, and Tartarus is very surprised you're alive. And 343 is there as well, and Miranda and Johnson. And so Arbiter tries one last time to reason with Tartarus. Even everything that's happened, he still tries saying, like, the the prophets have betrayed us, not the elites. But he's trying to say, like, we can all fight together, but he's too blind and stupid to see, and he activates, he, he makes Miranda put her hand on the console and activate the ring. So this is the final boss fight we get in the game, which is mm-hmm. fighting Tartarus, which was different, and it was like, it was intimidating, man. He has that gravity hammer to beating the hell out of everyone. And this is the first time that we actually see the gravity hammer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Fist of Rucked, which I think is the coolest name ever. But we eventually do defeat him along because elites keep coming and helping you, and Johnson's like taking down his shield. So, so the difference between this with any of the other boss battles you've had so far mm. is that Tartarus is invincible until his shield goes down, uh-huh. and the only way for that to go down is you have Johnson rotating around you on this platform Mm -hmm. and he has a covenant sniper yep and he's just shooting it and you eventually take him down and that's when it cuts to miranda taking the index and making sure the ring doesn't activate Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden it launches something in the center of itself and we see 343 guilty spark explain like well if this ever happens all of the rings are now on standby so it's not like all of the rings and it's like And Miranda asks, where would someone go to activate all of them? And he says, the Ark. Mm -hmm. And then now we switch back to Chief arriving at Earth in the Dreadnought. And initially, Lord Hood says, shoot it down. And then Chief says, like, hey, I'm on here. Yeah, this is Spartan 117. Yeah, Yeah, of course, it's kind of the intro. Isolate that signal. Yeah, which, if you haven't noticed, it is the intro to our podcast. But, you know, he says, you know, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? And he says, sir finishing this fight and then cut to credits and that is how the game ends which no one expected so that's kind of one reason why it wasn't uh the best ending but 
True, but I mean, the thing is, though, so you have your after credit scenes, which if you if you didn't already know that they were kind of setting up for a possible third from the ending of what it yeah. was, you then see the after credit scenes, which is back at High Charity, and you see the whole thing is just stanky with flood. Mm-hmm. That's it's one way to describe it, all stanky. stanky with flood. <laughs> and then you start, you see, because basically you see this flood spore mm-hmm. that kind of travels through. It's very cinematic and beautiful. And mm-hmm. Whenever we get to the anniversary edition, it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But it floats through, and you see the tentacles kind of crawling on uh-huh. through, going up to what we then realize is a terminal. And mm-hmm. it's a little terminal where Cortana pops out. Yep, and he basically says, hey, I'm alive and I have questions. So she just says, all right, shoot. She's entertaining it. like, mm-hmm. And that is truly how the game ends. So that is the Halo 2 campaign. Now, we're not done here. If you're familiar with our Combat Evolved episode, we still have quite a bit of information to go through. So the first thing we want to go through is what did they cut? Because there was a lot. So the first thing, the Sharkoi or the Drenal that were supposed to be in Combat Evolved were cut. The Blind Wolf that was supposed to be in Combat Evolved as well was cut. Engineers. And actually, at one point, they were supposed to look like buggers were also cut. Now, that flood juggernaut I told you about that was cut, that was supposed to almost act as this kind of central grave mind. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be 18 foot tall. So if you killed one, all the flood around would die. So yeah, it'd be like Doom-esque, kind of like killing mm-hmm. like a mini yeah. boss. Uh, they also had something that was called a stalker, which was this uh, six-limbed creature with sharp fangs. They had a species that was like just a sniper species. They could use like their limbs as a tripod and shoot at you and like shift back and forth. But that's that's interesting because there there are games that have done that. They they're yeah. like the creatures have like um, bladed. I guess you would say that's what I kind of imagine. Yeah, but they they realized like they just couldn't develop the movements that they wanted. Another one that they had that there was a level supposed to be called the Sentinel Headquarters. Yes, there's a couple levels it took out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sentinel Headquarters was one. Little was known about this other than it was going to have a lot of Forerunner technology. We also had this game was supposed to end with a Warhard rug. Thank God it didn't. Like like, uh, Halo CE, but... Unfortunately, that was cut. Now we have the Forerunner tank, which was actually supposed to happen after the level Regret, where Chief drives a, a, this Forerunner tank, and he battles off all these uh, these tentacles from the Gravemind mm, before okay. finally the Gravemind gets him to kind of bridge the gap in between Quarantine Zone and Regret. Which, which I'm okay with them cutting that, because once again, that doesn't feel like a Halo no. mission. That feels like generic sci-fi shooter thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just really glad that they didn't keep stuff like that in. Mm, Yeah. And then another one they had is, initially, whenever you quote-unquote deliver the bomb, that was actually just supposed to be a mission where Chief jumps into a Covenant ship and just completely annihilates it from the inside out, like we saw with that 2002 Mm -hmm. trailer. That's what it was supposed to be, but they instead we got a really cool cinematic from it, but that was supposed to be a whole mission in itself. Yeah, and another thing with it is the beginning cinematic where the Arbiter's getting punished. They wanted to have engineers with a tray of basically hot dogs, popcorn, and candy. Yeah. Uh, which is funny, which I would have definitely It, it, it would have only been on Legendary. Which is cool. It's kind of like the Johnson hugging ending. Yeah, or even just uh, Jason Jones in a towel kind of thing. It, like, And, and we, we'll definitely you know, talk with you guys more as we go through just about... Even just doing like, because I really want to do like a mini series when we get through a lot of games. Is mm-hmm. just 
all the hidden bungee stuff they've done. Yeah, because I mean, there's so much, and it's it's when we're trying to do an episode and cover everything, there is some stuff that we just like we can't really dive that into. Like with the skulls, like we could make a whole damn episode about that, but like there's a lot to cover for this. Like we're already like two hours into this episode, we still have a minute to go. Just a warning, just but, just sixty seconds. Yeah. Uh, another thing is that the assault rifle was cut, as yeah. we talked about. Flamethrower, they still couldn't get, so they cut that. There was supposed to be a boat. Which Alex is not a fan of those water levels, so I think he... no. And you have to figure they also this is still the era where they couldn't figure out how to do decent water physics when you swam. So it's kind of like the GTA. If you got into water at that time, you just died. So there's no <laughs> point in having water levels until you could successfully do yeah. water. We also had a hovercraft that they wanted, but they had to cut the mongoose as well was going to be in this. So they slapped into three. Yeah, they slapped in three theater mode as well was supposed to be in this, but it got cut. As well as Chief's armor, another thing, his uh, armor was going to be affected based on the difficulty. I couldn't really find what. Interesting. It was probably just weaker. Weaker than it hardy yeah. was. And another thing that I, I am glad they didn't put in what they do in some games now is sprinting would have put you into third person. Mm-hmm. So you had to start to sprint and after four seconds of walking. so which It was is, automatic. Yeah, which is... Some games I like that in. This mm-hmm. would be one where... I don't know if I would have, it would have been weird because there's not a lot of places where walking for four seconds was a real reality. Yeah, no, but it's something with that sprinting though. Is if you had dual SMGs, if you started sprinting, you would drop them and f- two middle fingers would go up. And that's a little. That's, I mean, that's like Duke Nukemi. That's, that's, not... that's too Mountain Dew for me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's too Duke Nukemi doomish. Like where like it, those are those like funny sci-fi shooters and this one just it wouldn't be that yeah and then it's not necessarily cut but all of the lines for halo 2's original endings are recorded but martin o'donnell said he's never going to release them so i think that's crazy as well as there were multiple cutscenes that were in the middle of development that they took out that were kind of shortened up one of them is where whenever the arbiter at the very end saves johnson from the brutes there's actually going to be a long drawn out hand-to-hand battle between the arbiter and the brutes uh, another thing we had was the Sanctum of the Hierarchs, which in the middle of the game, there would be a cutscene explaining the Covenant religion that was cut due to uh, Joe Staten feeling that they were trying to push the Covenant side a little too hard. Mm-hmm. Like, we shouldn't be almost to this level of sympathizing with them. So instead, they, they kept that scene where it was like changing of the guard and that uneasy tension within the Covenant. Another uh, another in the final cutscene was uh, it shows a, a Spec Ops elite talking to to the prophets confused about why the elites were being replaced by the brutes kind of similar to the other cutscene they cut uh and it dives into the writ of union which they start kind of they start reciting it which i thought that was kind of cool and it ha- it shows this mural of the seven stages of the covenant forming hmm. and which it, it and it, you can find these and still see it it's really really cool and then, you know, this was replaced within half jaw talking to the prophets about being replaced. Which is understandable. I mean, I mean, like I said, Halo itself is a cinematic game, but it mm-hmm. didn't rely on cinematics. The only really big cinematic you had that was like a tracing shot was when the spore at the end. Yeah, as I said, like, and, and it worked out well. Yeah. But so now let's move on to the next thing, which is the multiplayer. Yeah, and so for Halo 2 multiplayer, the team from the game Oni 
were brought on and joined the Halo team to work on multiplayer. After they were done with that, they were promised they could work on any game they wanted, which at the time was a game called Monster Hunter, though it wasn't the same game we know today. Yeah, different one, different one. Yeah. The idea was thrown out to all the small area-based multiplayer modes, especially all the popular things in CE were getting scrapped. Though Max Hoberman, former Bungie Online design lead, fought to keep the smaller scale levels in multiplayer, which I think is what a lot of people really love. Yeah. Is stuff like Lockout. Yeah, because they were going to do more of bigger size maps like Warzone, mm-hmm. but last minute they're like, okay, okay, back to smaller size for the most part, you Makes know? Sense. Yeah. It, a majority of Bungie didn't even work on the multiplayer, though. They worked on the campaign. So, yeah. like, that's why, like, this multiplayer should have been terrible like if you if you saw what they were doing like they did it it made sense though and like to help with time that a lot of these maps did reflect scenes within the campaign so a lot of what you saw was essentially like oh that was in this level or that's in this level so i thought that was really really cool and it makes sense to reutilize stuff that you already have because Mm -hmm. If not your one, you'd have to tie it back in somehow. Like you already had like your staples, like coagulation mm-hmm. um, and things like that that you're bring. You're kind of porting over from CE, but having everything else and having like backgrounds to those things was really awesome to see. Yeah. Uh, so with this, the also introduced proximity voice, which is a thing with Xbox Live that added in that if you were close to. Enemies specifically was one really big thing uh-huh. that you could hear them. Yeah, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, as well as they they introduced icons that you could customize and then that ones that would appear like on top of your character and which we even saw uh, like we had this this Halo 2 game night recently where we brought on some people. It was eight people total and we played like two, two and a half hours of classic Halo 2 and you would see if like someone died, their character would instantly like the, the icon would turn into an X. And you're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't go in there because everyone just died. So really cool things like that that they implemented in the multiplayer. Yeah. And one other big thing that Halo 2 introduced, I think specifically around Xbox Live community and really pushed it, was the party system uh, Mm -hmm. where you can pair up with your friends and kind of join different casual play or competitive play. Yeah. And go through any levels that you really wanted to with them. Yeah, and that's kind of what spawned, like, clans first initially being born. But the the multiplayer itself wasn't only just developed, but it was played for two years straight. So the second they could even just move a guy, they played it every second they could along with developing it. That way, they would give fans the best multiplayer that they could get their hands on at the time. And they really did. Yeah. It, It sparked... Xbox Live as truly like this thing that people need to get. And well, what I really like too is they did this themselves. I mean, a lot of it would be in kind of the flight testing we have coming out with this Mm -hmm. and beta testing because with this, the first two weeks of multiplayer led to many crash games due to weapons that shouldn't have been in multiplayer and Mm. only worked for campaigns because they didn't write the code for both. Luckily, Bungie, playing these many, many hours of it, did catch this before a lot of players did and snuck in a patch to kind of quickly fix that. Like, oh, no, you never saw that. What are you talking about? But yeah, and then something else that was cool is they added last minute this did you know section in the multiplayer lobby and some of the stuff was just really silly statements, but some of it would actually give insight into Halo Reach's gameplay later on, which I thought was crazy. It's it's really neat, and it's a feature that a lot of games have now, because uh, especially it's just really nice for loading screens. Mm-hmm. Just to throw in, like, I would say like typically most games, it's probably a third to two thirds, maybe like actual facts about stuff. Yeah, and then the rest of it's usually just like either 
let's say there's a character that talks a lot, maybe from them or something. Mm -hmm. It's it's really neat to see that. Yeah. So to kind of delve into multiplayer, I wanted to start off with a couple of the game modes you could do. Mm -hmm. Uh, You started off with your classic Slayer. Yeah. uh, Kill or be killed. Uh, And what really lent Halo 2 to that multiplayer aspect was being able to do these custom games you could make. So you'd have Slayer, you could do Team Slayer, and then a lot of popular modes started popping up that people liked because you customize mm-hmm. what weapons are on the map, what vehicles, things like that. Yeah. So you had these modes like uh, Team Rockets, Team Swords, Team Snipers, where those yeah. were the only sole weapon you had. And it became such a cool aspect for people to do that. Mm-hmm. And so with the advent of Slayer, you then have another classic of Capture the Flag. Mm-hmm. And Capture the Flag gave you several modes, including two-way flag. So each team had to defend and attack. Mm-hmm. One flag, one attack, one defend. Uh, and then a neutral flag. That was in the middle. And it was kind of like a relay race. You had to go grab it and bring it back before the other team could attempt to do it themselves. Yeah. And then another mode that we have is Oddball. Uh, mm-hmm. And Oddball is basically keep away. There's team Oddball. There's neutral Oddball, which is to keep away. It's a time limit. thing with it, the ball becomes a skull. Yeah. And with this oddball, you can just whack people. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty get... simple. It's like it's like a one-hit kill usually, yeah? Yeah. And then you yeah. just whack them about and uh, basically try and live the longest. And then you have your other typical modes you'll find in other shooters and things like that, King of the Hill with variations. Yeah. You have a mode called Juggernaut, which is basically a souped-up Spartan that has an overshield, does a bit more damage, mm-hmm. and you only earn kills when you play as that character. Um, and then various other modes that the developers put in and adapted. Like one that a lot of people love is uh, SWAT. And one of my favorites. And what SWAT is, it's no shields. And it's basically you have, I believe, sort of the, the pistol and the battle rifle. Mm-hmm. And it's headshots win. And then they, there's variation of no shields and shields, I believe, in the game rotation now on Master Chief Collection. There are shields, but I believe you can also do without shields, which is the pro way to yeah. do it. Yeah, but definitely for sure, and even it's like I don't know. SWAT is for sure my my favorite. So then let's let's go on to like the maps themselves. Like you know, we had the initial maps and some DLC. So what were some of the initial maps that even like we played on? So your go tos you had were Lockout, which is a fantastic smaller map that really lends itself to swords or snipers. Really, any kind of small, really localized mm-hmm. gameplay. So you have Ascension, Midway, Ivory Tower, which is another fantastic map. Beaver Creek, Burial Mounds, Colossus, Zanzibar, which is, for me, one of my favorites. It's a really cool single flag or bomb map. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coagulation, which brought us back from the old Blood Gulch from CE. Yeah. Uh, Headlong, Waterworks, and Foundation. Yeah, and so moving on to the DLC. The DLC even has story itself, because nothing can ever be too easy. And the cool thing I really liked with the DLC, like we're going to dive into it, but it was released in these kind of incremental chunks and having Xbox Live really led it itself for DLC and be able to get uh-huh. extra content that didn't necessarily have to be a full game or a full expansion pack. Yeah. So when it came to the creation of the DLCs, Max Hoberman had this to say. 
Quote, before we started planning Halo 3, Pete Parsons, uh, an internal Microsoft executive at Bungie, came to me and said, while we figure out what we're doing for Halo 3, we've got these environment artists and a bunch of level designers. We'd like to do some DLC. So I went from a team with two environment artists uh, to a team with 30 environment artists, none of which had any experience with multiplayer. It was especially challenging because they gave me a mandate that drove me bonkers. The team had such a painful experience on Halo 2 that the priority was that everyone have fun and enjoy themselves, not that we put out a quality product. The DLC wasn't great because of it, so I was kind of disappointed with that. But yeah, so even the DLCs, there was kind of some like working with junior developers or unexperienced developers, but we still got uh, four map packs total out of it. We did total. And going back just a little bit with this, when we're talking about environmental artists, when you're dealing with a campaign that's linear, typically, or dealing with that, like you don't have to worry about competitive play. Uh But when you're even just throwing in a casual game and you have multiple people using that area, it becomes tough to think of balancing. To mm-hmm. think of environment that you're working in, to think of like what's interesting, what can be a sniper spot. So once again, it's tough to deal with, you know, like junior developers and things like that. But overall, they did what they could. Yeah, and I think they put out a good product. Yeah, and their first map pack was called the Maptacular Pack, which I love all of the names of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had Backwash, Elongation, which is a map that has survived the test of time, Gemini, Relic and Terminal. Then after that, you started getting... So that was, I believe, the only one on disc. The other three were download only, and you had the Killtacular pack, which had Sanctuary and Turf. You had the, lacking of a name, Bonus Map pack, which is apparently a free surprise download sponsored by Mountain Dew, because who else understands Gamer better than the Dew? Exactly. They know know what we want. Yeah, and that actually had two maps that have also stood the test of time. I've gotten some remakes, which is Containment and Warlock. Uh-huh. And then you had the Blastacular map pack, which is developed by Max Hoberman's new company, Certain Affinity, and that was Desolation and Tombstone. Yeah, we'll talk about Certain Affinity because that kind of more came up so within Halo 3's development. Mm-hmm. But so w- when it comes to the end of the multiplayer, in 2010, April 15th, the Halo 2 servers were officially laid to rest along with the rest of the original Xbox servers. This would help pave way for the Halo Reach servers, though leaving many fans upset, only having six years to play Halo 2 online but we saw some heroes here we did see a group of 500 players who stayed logged in to their original xbox live accounts and by april 30th there was only 12 fans remaining playing with each other on multiplayer and they were called the uh, noble 12 these 12 fans were given halo reach beta keys as an award for keeping halo 2 alive nine days later 10 of the 12 either experienced internet connection issues that forced them to leave the servers or some just voluntarily signed off because they're like we want to play halo reach yeah. so we only had two left and by may 10th users agent windex and uh, apache n4sir uh, were booted from the server officially marking the end of the halo 2 servers i think that's crazy i think it's amazing i, I love those little things because i think that's happened with world of warcraft and it's happened with a couple other games where mm-hmm. 
all these characters are online, like just watching their server die. Yeah, it started with 500 and ended with two. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. And the fact that, like, some Bungie employees, like, or even I think it was a Microsoft employee, like, tweeted out to them, like, I see you guys. Like, it was like one of those things they weren't mad about it. They're like, we get it. Like, this is how it has to be, but we get it. And it's kind of cool that you're doing that. Can, can we talk about for a second just the, the game night we had since we're kind of on yeah. this? Yeah, so we'll we'll touch on this game night. So we'll we'll have another one coming up soon. Yeah. Um, but we were very excited for this and and it actually turned out well for our first kind of like, hey, let's try this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we haven't actually like touched like a lot of like Halo party making or anything in a minute and like the UIs are changing even on the just Xbox in general but it was really really fun getting some people from our discord and like it was like two and a half hours of us just laughing on the discord chat we all like got on our mics and just having a really really good time it brought us back and this is why like we started this and love it it brought us back to that nostalgic kind of playing in high school and middle uh-huh. school thing it it was just fun there was no feeling of competition or feeling of like because that's how i feel with overwatch it's like if i'm losing i get pissed at myself yeah you get angry with yeah. this if you're losing you're like eh, whatever i was always losing <laughs> well, i i was true. i was literally the worst player the whole time except for the last game i think we were both the worst but no i remember at one point they were talking uh some of the developers on bunny were talking about halo multiplayer and how like it's the games themselves aren't only fun but literally talking about the game afterwards and i found that's what we were doing. We're like, oh, yeah. that, that, you know, when I went in that cave and you got me, like, it was so fun. And it was really cool to, like, reach out to some of our listeners. I know, I can't remember who, someone was just like, so are you guys a podcast? Because he just saw an Instagram post and hopped on. Yeah. It was really cool, but it was also really, really fun. These random game types we did. The very last mission, my team did end up winning capture the flag that was good because at one point it was like ah we're losing and then we actually started getting like competitive to where we're like okay someone stay behind like who's gonna stay behind okay i've got the scorpion let's go like and then of course my favorite part is we got back into the main lobby and i'm like we finally beat you and i just heard alex go yeah i think we're finding the weak weak link and i just hear someone go shut up (laughs) (laughs) it was fun like i had a blast and like i said we're gonna be having another one we'll have one Again, specifically for Halo 3 when we get to that. Uh-huh. But we're going to try and have some more regular ones with some theme nights. Mm-hmm. Um, just some, you know, what do you want to play type things. We'll probably put some polls up in Discord. Yeah. Um, and throw some stuff on Instagram as well. So, yeah, it was just really fun. Shout out to all those guys. I'll give you a shout out here at the end uh, for coming on and just making that, like, a great night. And we were just laughing the whole time. And even just, like, playing and, like, just having discussions while we were playing and stuff like that. We were talking about, like, some lore and, like, some stuff about the podcast and all this other stuff. It was really Really cool. Yeah. So look on, be on the lookout uh, very soon. We'll say that mm-hmm. uh, when our next game night is. And for our Euro and Asian, Australian and African and South Americans, you have the same time as us, uh, friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to probably do a day one at some point as well, yeah. depending on demand. So if we do have some of you guys that are across the world, like we l- want to hear from you, like we want to sit down and play with you guys mm-hmm. and we want to make sure that we can make that happen. So we'll talk more on that, like, uh, check in our discord, which will be linked on this podcast as well as our Instagram, uh, for more details with that. Yeah. So now let's move on to my favorite part of the game episodes, which is the music. Martin O'Donnell feels that if he truly enjoys the game, he says that he can understand the game emotionally and will make his work even better. 
Now, this soundtrack was a departure from the Halo Combat Evolved soundtrack because it was released in two volumes. Volume 1 was released alongside the game November 9th, 2004, and Volume 2 was released two years later on April 25th, 2006. Both were written and composed by Martin O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore, produced by Niall Rogers and released on Something Else Music Works. Cool elements about this soundtrack is that Steve Vai and John Mayer were on this. John Mayer can be heard on uh, the soundtrack be- or the track Beholden, but he's uncredited because he went under under his manager's nose because he was like, I literally want to tell my friends that I was on a Halo soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So he just did it, which I think is amazing. Now with Steve Vai, him seeing a video of him playing over for the first time, just a random scratch track, half the things he plays that first time through actually come into the actual Mjolnir mix that he's featured on. He's also featured on the track Reclaimer. But it was really, really cool that they let him do almost whatever he wanted. Clearly, they wanted him to follow some melodies. But it wasn't just him coming in and doing whatever. Like, they would, like, bounce ideas off each other. Like, Martin O'Donnell and Nile Rodgers would be like, you should kind of, like, you should just throw this note in. And he would just do it then. And they'd be like, yeah, that's good. That's perfect. So it was really cool to see a guy like that come in and literally say i'll do whatever you want like i don't care he was literally like i'll do rhythm if you want i can do leads if you want i don't care i can do some chuggy stuff and there's like let's just vibe and it was just it was so cool so the fact that we had not only famous actors in this game but we had famous musicians playing in this game like i this soundtrack as well was starting to show people that like video game soundtracks really do matter at this point well and like i said before with your older tunes, like Nintendo was fantastic with mm-hmm. this, and a lot of your old arcade games, like your chip tunes, they really bring you back. You know what yeah. game it is from that. But now that you're actually putting money and, like we said, the cinematic quality into things, I mean, because mm-hmm. it's shown within Volume One, and it featured artists like Incubus, Hoobastank, now Rogers, who was producer on it, and Breaking Benjamin, along with original and new Halo tracks. It's really neat to see that these now pretty washed up uh, amazing 2000s <laughs> bands were on this like like at the time that is fantastic and yeah. some of you younger people might not know who all of those artists are which is mm-hmm. weird to say uh yeah for guys that are pushing their 30s but yeah. oh well oh well but yeah it's it's really cool and so breaking benjamin did their track for free which yeah. kind of goes back to the John Mayer aspect of it. Yeah, they did it because it was like for promotion. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, crazy. And I, I remember seeing a post of someone on Instagram that when they saw Breaking Benjamin, they saw their vocalist wearing a shirt that says, I can kick your ass in Halo 2. So that's <laughs> so crazy to think. But yeah, this actually ended up being 162 on the top 200 billboard and sold over 100,000 copies. That's awesome. For a video game soundtrack being on the top 200 billboard is absolutely crazy. And in the physical edition of Volume 1, it would also include a part of the Covenant Writ of Union. All these little things, they, do, they these details they don't have to put in the game, they put in the game. Because why the hell not? So Volume 2 uh, was less about like, those individual tracks, and it was just more about 
however you'd play it, you know, if you play it from start to finish, that's how the music would play in mm-hmm. the game was broken up into suites. So he has the full suite of music from the game itself. Yeah, it had 12 suites, but if you wanted to break those down, it was 33 total tracks. Got it. Which I thought was really, really cool. Now, there's also, I remember we were doing this this playthrough. There is a lost song played at Cairo Station and Gravemind. Um, I heard it, but I can't find the Halo 2 lost song on the internet area anywhere. We found the Combat Evolved lost song, but I can't find this one anywhere. And it's frustrating. But another cool thing they did do, that there's this voice that you can hear in the mausoleum suite. Now, if you play this message backwards and you speed it up, you're going to hear this. I have walked among men and angels for 3,000 years. Time has no end, no beginning, no purpose. I wandered the earth seeking forgiveness for my horrible crimes against God and man. I live to see death and destruction. Evil over the light, but the light cannot be extinguished. I live in a prison of my own demise. I am lost. Many believe this to be a message from 032 Mendicant Bias, a character that will be more explored in Halo 3. And that's when we'll explore him then too, because we can't jump too far ahead. But cool things like that, that you hear, and I actually did some research, and they do this again in Halo 3, mm-hmm. which is cool, and we'll talk about that later on. But yeah. Over, it, these soundtracks were awesome, and these details they put in were unnecessary, but appreciated. One, what I love is, two going forward, they put in a bunch of hidden tracks. Mm-hmm. Like, there's an achievement for it now, and it's a little tidbit over on over on Ivory Tower, behind that kind of elevator lift that kind of shoots you up a little bit, mm. there is a big kind of garage door area. And in basically between three to six minute intervals, it'll play this hidden track yeah in there and it's just it's really interesting that they throw that little those little fun tidbits in. Mm-hmm. yeah and say with like breaking benjamin that song will it keeps playing until you defeat everyone in the room so i love this soundtrack it's one of the best i know we put up polls before or even posts on our instagram it's like which do you think is the best and halo 2 and 3 are usually the top contenders right up there with Ooh, odst with yeah right up there with odst mm-hmm. so let's go through just a quick how many versions of this game were released pretty decent amount i mean and, yeah and We'll see that when we get to Master Chief Collection about kind of which ones they're using uh, mm-hmm. now. We had the original Xbox release, followed by the PC Windows Vista exclusive, because everyone loves me some Vista. <laughs> you had the Collector's Edition, uh, which is one thing that we are currently offering for our giveaway. Yeah, by the time this is released, it will be the day after the giveaway ends. So you, but... you didn't win, I'm sorry. Yeah. I won. <laughs> uh, but the collector's edition was the first additional release we would see in the Halo franchise. And it was that steel book and it had a making of Halo 2 DVD, which is awesome. And a booklet titled Conversations from the Universe. We used that making of Halo 2 DVD for a lot of these notes. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say probably about 30 or 40 percent of these notes easily came from that. It's great. like, And I personally just love to see like behind the scenes of what goes on in really mm-hmm. any production. Oh, yeah. So it's just really cool to see that. Yeah. And then... Uh, Outside of the main game itself, we had the map packs. And so you have the map pack, which was featured all the DLC maps along with A Day at the Beach, which is a short animation following the story of the other pelican that crashed at the beginning of Outskirts. So it's whenever we're seeing that scarab take us Mm -hmm. out. Yep. So that's really cool. And then it also included trailers for Halo Combat Evolved and Halo 2, along with a documentary about the development of the nine maps included 
on the map pack. Exactly. There was also the triple pack that we talked about mm-hmm. that was Halo Combat Evolved 2 and the map pack. Yep. It had its own platinum hits, and of course we have the classic version and the anniversary remake on Halo MCC, which we will talk about that remake along with the Combat Evolved remake once we get to that point. Mm-hmm. We also had the first time we would ever see an original Xbox or just a console for Xbox. Uh, alongside Halo 2, we had an, an Xbox that was Halo themed. It was that green one. So yeah, I, yeah, it was like a special bundle for it yeah i think you can find that online for like 200 bucks or something get us to a hundred thousand followers and we'll do that as a giveaway all right cool sounds good yeah let's do that so now that we've we've gone through all of this let's talk about the general reaction of this game we're coming to the end of this episode now we just want to know what did the world think about this I mean, essentially, let's start off with a quote from OXM saying Halo 2 is the single greatest achievement on the platform, which the OXM gave them a 10 out of 10. Uh, While in production, Frank O'Connor expected Halo 2 to be more of like a Halo 1.5, but it blew away all of his expectations. Like regardless of the setbacks of the deadline, the whole Bungie team was beyond impressed that they delivered what they did, even though those feelings were also mixed with the stress that the game brought upon their lives. Within 11 minutes, this game sold 8,500 copies. Within 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's more That's more than plays we have right now. Uh, <laughs> please, but, please listen to uh, us. <laughs> uh, by daybreak, it had 200,000 copies. And then uh, in the US, U.S. alone, by the end of the first day, it had released or it had sold 2.4 million copies. That was that's just over, in the U.S. Yeah, and that's over $125 million. Which was... Apparently at the time, a record for any production release because the closest to it uh, was Spider-Man, which they beat out, which on opening weekend, it made 114, but over three days. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's well to think, it sold 5 million copies within three weeks. Like, that's absolutely insane. Yeah, like for, especially for a physical media. Mm-hmm, yeah, and it's it's yeah, as we said, like it it's going down is not only one of the greatest Halo games of all time, but one of the greatest video games of all time. Even though you have that contrast of it has one of the worst endings of all time, but I think really that it just was it still was a great game overall even though that some critics did fault its campaign for being a little too similar to combat evolved because of those kind of repetitive moments and going back and forth and then even the grave mind himself fell under scrutiny because people thought like there was no more mystery left to the flood which there absolutely was mystery still left just because they have a commander doesn't mean i still don't know where the hell they came from like yeah but i guess it boils down to if you just knew the two games and like that, that was mm-hmm. kind of your only lore building that you had at the time. Yeah. It can kind of be like, okay, all your cards on the table now. Like I know exactly true, what your true, hand is. True. So I get that. And like when we, we delve through some message boards from way back when, and uh-huh. it's kind of the only thing like people. And I think what we kind of talked about too, the multiplayer is what really kept it alive. Yeah, it's it's what boosted it to the next level. Mm-hmm. But even though, like, also the the legendary difficulty yep. uh, was subject for dismay for fans because basically Bungie didn't have enough time to balance out or the legendary mode, so they just kind of turned everything up to ten and left it at there, which kind of sucks. But you know, it is gone down as one of the hardest legendaries, if not the hardest legendary of all time. But I mean, by all means, if you can beat it, you're a better person than I. 
or any legendary for that matter. <laughs> so let's go into overall like reviews, like what they got, like a handful of them. Like here, OXM, the US OXM gave them 9.7 out of 10. It was the Australian OXM that gave them 10 out of 10. They loved those just real shitty Australian accents that were in there. <laughs> they gave them 10 out of 10 for it. IGN gave them a 9.8 out of 10. Game Informer gave them a solid 10 out of 10. Play Magazine gave them a 9 out of 10. Xplay gave them a 5 out of 5. And then Xbox uh, from GameSpot gave them a 9.4 out of 10. The Metascore is 95 out of 100, making it the third highest ranked original Xbox game behind Combat Evolved and the Grand Theft Auto Triple Pack. That's respectable. Can't fault that. I'd say at the end of the day, there's a famous quote that supposedly is or isn't from Jason Jones, who had this to say about Halo 2. Halo 2 is a lot like Halo 1, only it's Halo 1 on fire, going 130 miles per hour through a hospital zone, being chased by helicopters and ninjas, and the ninjas are all on fire, too. Overall, this was one of the greatest accomplishments in gaming at the time. And so I just want to go down to what did we think about it? This is the last thing we cover. What did we think about Halo 2? So this goes back to what I said in our Zero episode. Like, this is my favorite Halo game of all time. I love the campaign, but mm -hmm. for me, it's the multiplayer. It's what really made it. it. It Being able to make these custom games, jumping with friends, yeah, smack talk other kids when we were doing it way back when, and just be in these environments. And like we said, even though multiplayer was like some weird hindsight that they had and they were just kind of these like chunks of other maps they put into there and kind of sculpted around yeah that's what made it for me yeah it was definitely the driving force like granted that campaign was amazing the music was amazing cinematics and everything like that you can't fault that the multiplayer carried it on its back and mm -hmm. truly not only the game but xbox live itself yeah like again like we talked about that that game night we had it was amazing it was phenomenal just to laugh about everything that happened and all our comments and how we were dying like imagine that every weekend yeah and that's that's one other fact i forgot to bring up with it but they actually set a record with whenever uh, Xbox Live launched and Halo 2 was there, mm -hmm. Halo 2 had a concurrent 118,000 players, which in today's standards is tiny, mm -hmm. but at that time was monstrous for yeah. a new online system. Yeah, it's just, it's so crazy to think. Yeah, and, and we talked about it a little earlier in the episode, and we're going to keep talking about it forever. I mean, thank you guys again for doing our game night, but uh -huh. it sparked so much. Like, Jesse and I... We started this kind of going back into Halo as a refresher because uh -huh. we, we played the games. We hadn't played that in a bit. So to jump into multiplayer and kind of be like, oh, do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, the sniper rifle's up there. Oh, the mm -hmm. rockets are down there. That was so cool to do. I, I Like I said, I have always loved Halo 2. It's my go-to game. If you haven't played it, and I, some people might not. I know we have a couple listeners that aren't really gamers, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't, it's a really fun play for anyone it, it's hard to say but i will i might even recommend it like that's a game the, the original halo 2 i don't like like combat evolved i don't think it's aged too terribly well so i'd say that we are fortunate to have a anniversary edition so i mean like play that anniversary edition like that's exactly what we thought it looked like when we were kids mm -hmm. like you do have this new version where it's like and it is the best looking halo game like i don't care who you are it's the best looking one hands down but play that game even if you do just the classic one just just play it and really appreciate 
what took the Halo franchise to the next level and just kicked us all in the balls with this amazing story, this amazing music, this amazing multiplayer in this way to connect to people across the world and truly find yourself enjoying melting your eyes and your brain in front of that tube television, you know? So to kind of wrap this up for you guys, we wanted to kind of thank those who did come up for game night because mm-hmm. uh, we really appreciate you not only playing with us, but helping us with our research. Like yeah. letting these me and Jesse just babble at you and just have some fun. Yeah, I went off on a few tangents that I do with Alex all the time and they had to suffer through it. And yeah, so, it, it kind of got silent for a second, but... So you guys had to witness this, but thanks again. I'm going to butcher some of these names, but you guys know who I am. You can just yell at me. So Skyjack Hell 9804, I Live at EKU, Swimmable Orb 1, Tiger Nation 116... Thinking Guy 707 and Diesel 0907. Y'all were the MVPs. It was a really, really fun game night. We're going to be doing it again. But yeah, it was like two and a half hours of just constant playing, having fun. It was just cool to like relive like some old memories of just like, but just like multiplayer in general. Like mm-hmm. I haven't had that f- much fun since I was in high school. Yeah. Like it's crazy to think. It, like, and that was like eight or nine years ago or something. But again, thank you. And overall, like let's rank this game right now. If you had to do out of 10, you can do as many decimal points as you want. Uh, out of 10, what do we rank? Halo 2 as a whole, not just the multiplayer or everything, as a whole, this disc right here. I would say as a whole, I mean, I'm going 9.5. I was li- literally the same. I mean, you had some flaws, but these are flaws that people nitpicked at for me later. Yeah. Well, even then, like, go through, like, everything that happened. Part of it was Bungie's fault for being a little too ambitious, but part of it was also Microsoft's fault and, you know, just laying the hammer down on them and making them do this, you know? Yeah. And what the hope is with 343 now, having this decent, I would say more than they had, amount of time for uh, Infinite. I'm hoping Mm -hmm. that we can get that kind of like, oh, we got everything in this total package. Yeah, essentially what we got with 3. So again, thank you for listening to this episode. This is almost a three-hour episode at this point, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, Our next episode will be the graphic novel, the the first comic we will ever get in the Halo franchise. Yeah, so if you guys hate books, this is an easy one to pick up and flip through. There's pictures. Yeah. People enjoy that. It's pretty crazy if you're stupid like us. (laughs) But no, so it's really... Really fun read, actually, and it's there's a really cool story behind it. But uh, again, thank you for listening to this episode. It was really, really fun to research. I know we talked it up for a long time, and we finally got it out of the way with. And with that, I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. <laughs>